The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on one-on-one with poppy chulo created by poppy chulo one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers here's your host poppy chulo welcome to one-on-one with poppy chulo today is thursday april 2nd 2015 Listeners, please welcome back multiple award-winning fan-favorite adult industry veteran performer, director, and all-around entertainer, Jack Napier. Welcome back, man. Thank you. Thank you. You know, at this point, you're never going to get rid of me, man. I'm starting to get used to this. Exactly. I believe it. This is like my, my home away from home, man. And that for this for this past, uh, well, almost a week now, actually. We got like four days in? Exactly. This is part four. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling love, man. In fact, I, I don't think I want to go home anymore. Let's just stay here on the radio with fans and listeners. Jack Napier is in it for the long haul. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, man. How you doing, man? Fantastic. Uh, super excited to have you back and to pick your brain some more. That's what's up. It seems like it's been a really long time since, uh, since we last spoke. Well, it's been a day. <laughs> seems like so much longer, man. I yes. Miss <laughs> I miss you too. Word. All right. Yeah, so listeners, if I'm, you I'm, haven't had the chance to tune into part one, part two, or part three, head on over to poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives, and you can download all those installments. You'll get a chance to really get enriched by uh, Jack Napier's rich history in the adult industry. He goes into everything from how he started to West Coast Productions, Voyeur Media, you know, directing, performing, everything. Yeah, it's pretty candid. It really is. So certainly head on over, download them, listen to them, and you'll get uh, the full uh, Jack Napier story. Or at least by the end of this interview, you know, in part like 15 or something, you'll have the full yeah. Jack Napier story. Yeah, it's pretty depth so far. To be honest, I don't think I've been, uh, uh, well, I've definitely not done an interview this this uh, this long, uh, this extensive. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely been very, uh, very candid. I like to think so. I do as well, and I appreciate it. Not at all. So we're going to jump into this part of the interview by talking about some of uh, the serious issues, the serious aspects, the um, dum, dum, dum. that kind of stuff in the adult the industry. Dr- the, the drama. <laughs> exactly. You know, just a lot of the issues that go on uh, with being a performer in the industry. And the first question to kick off uh, this part four is 
Does your family know about your career in the industry? And if so, how do they feel about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they know. It's, it's been a while. I mean, my, um, now, my family, I'm, I'm talking about people who are of age. You know, the, the family members that are not of age uh, don't know, and, you know, they really don't need to. Uh, but family members that are of age, they know. And as far as how they feel about it, yeah, after this many years, it's, you know, stay safe. I mean, initially, you know, with, with uh, when you're an adult and you're doing your thing and it's not illegal and you're doing better than you were before, um, people tend to be like, well, it's not my best choice for you, but, you know, be careful, you know, it's better than what you were doing, at least you're not stealing cars anymore or whatever, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, you know, be careful. But now, after this many years, I just say, I'm going to work. Okay, everyone, but Dennis, you know. <laughs> Definitely, man. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. Something that we touched on before that uh, we... Um, we sort of so sort of briefly touched upon in uh, the second part of the interview was sort of racism in the industry because you shared with uh, the listeners and with myself the story about uh, Carmen and uh, there's something about Jack too. So I want to delve in a little bit deeper just in the issue of race and racism in the industry. As a performer of color, in as a male performer of color in the adult industry, have you ever felt any racism or discrimination directed at you? And uh, because of the karma story, of course the answer is yes. So can you share with us some examples of the racism and the discrimination that you've experienced throughout your 15 plus years in the industry? Well, I mean, asking me about racism in the industry is like asking me if there's racism in the world. So, yeah, of course there is, no doubt. Uh, it's like asking if, you know, are there drugs in the industry? Are there alcohol in the industry? Is there, whenever, put it this way, whenever there's people in a group, <laughs> whatever there's people that constitute this group, whatever the group is, right? These people are part of the world, so they're going to bring worldly elements. If the group is larger, if the group is large enough, you're definitely going to see some worldly elements. It's just what it is. Um, so if it's in the world, you can count on seeing it in very large groups. Um, the industry being a, a very, very, very large group. Um, but I've never really felt it personally directed at me. Like nobody has necessarily directed anything specifically at me. Uh, it's just general, like race, like race in general, like black in general or black looking in general. In fact, particularly in this industry, it's a lot more about black looking or not black looking or, you know, it's, it's pretty much whatever you look like. It just makes it easier to niche things on a professional level. And then on a personal level, you know, hey, it is what it is. People have their reasons and they range anywhere from personal reasons to family reasons to, you know, what they heard or something that they experienced personally or whatever it is. Uh, but it's, it, again, if I haven't met these people, there's, there's really nothing that I can take personally. So uh, whatever reason that they feel the way they feel, you know, it's, it's nothing I take necessarily to my head. Um, it, it does affect who I can cast or who I can't cast or who I will or who I won't work with. 
but again, it's not just me. So that's those are those are the types of effects that we'll have: uh, pairings, matching, stuff like that. Okay, yep. so I think it's safe to assume that you've been uh, turned away from scenes from with female performers that did not work with men of color, or maybe you know, at the end of the day, when you showed up, you know, they were like, "No, I won't work with him." Again, that's really not my situation because, uh, again, for most of my career, I have picked and choose. Okay. So I, I really haven't had people just say, oh, well, I'm not going to do this with you because you're, you know, in, in, especially not on set. I mean, these are things that have been set up beforehand. Like, I have a plethora of girls to choose from. Um, so I go through and see who do I want to work with and other, worlds that I, other girls that I want to work with who's available to me to work with. So, and we do all of this beforehand so that by the time we do get on set, there is no problems like that. So there, there should be no, there's a lot of communication involved, so there should be no, by the time she shows up on set, like, oh, oh wait, you're black? Now that should not be the case. Um, I already know whether or not this girl is willing to work with men of color or not. Uh, I know whether or not she is willing to work with men of size or not. And more importantly, I know whether or not she's willing to work with me or not well before I uh, ever schedule her to be on set or whether well before I show up to set, you know. So things, things like that don't occur because that would be, geez, that would be really bad. And really nobody wants that kind of open confrontation like that. Most people are not going to be, if it's a personal thing, <laughs> or even if it's a professional thing, it's, it's undoubtedly uh, an uncomfortable thing uh, to, you know, openly discuss among people of the other side of, of that barrier. I mean, if you're like-minded individuals, I'm sure you could chop it up, you know, very candidly one side, you know, or one side and down the other. But to be in a place of work among other people that you don't know so well, don't know what their views are, and then, you know, to be put in a position where, you know, you're now here in front of somebody that you would opt not to work with for these reasons. It, it's hard to now say, uh, you know, in a room full of people, I, I don't want to do this because uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't look very good at all. <laughs> it looks really bad. Like a lot of people feel this way privately and uh, among friends, but publicly, yeah, there's not too many people that are just going to outwardly. They'll say, oh, I don't do interracial. They'll say that. Oh, I'm not doing interracial right now. You know, that's a very, you know, diplomatic and professional thing to say. But whether they feel it or not, you know, to just go ahead and say, uh, I don't do people because they are dark or I don't do people because of their color of skin. That's not going to go over well, you know, publicly, whether you feel that way or not. Like, for example, take your, your, uh, your cool uh, former Clippers owner. Um, you know, he had some private feelings about people of color and um, again as a professional he didn't let it stand in his way of what he was doing but you know privately he said some things that unfortunately he couldn't take, take back because they were you know made public and it, it didn't work out very well for him um, so in a professional light whether you feel like that or not most people are going to keep it to themselves for those reasons because yeah professionally when it comes out it doesn't look too good but, uh, yeah, we definitely try to avoid these um, uncomfortable uh, confrontations. You know, for both, for both people, we don't, we don't want to be walking around bad blood looking at each other 
you know, uh, this dude's racist or this bitch is racist or this fucking dude's dick or whatever because he doesn't like this or that or you know, whatever the hell the case is. Uh, we don't want that. You know, we're, we're in this business to make money. We try to make things smooth and whatever our personal preferences are. You know, if possible, keep it private, keep it personal, whatever. And, you know, that's why we have agents and managers and we get these things set up beforehand. Um, and for, again, for some people, it's just a professional choice. And by that, what I mean is for girls, a lot of girls don't have a lot of longevity. So they try to do certain things to increase their longevity within the, within the industry. So some girls will only opt to do so much when they first come in and then they'll do a little bit more and they'll try to do a little bit more and they'll add something else to their, you know, to their resume of things that they do instead of doing everything at one time. But it, it's like, it's a game of chess, and it's really, it's really it, for people who are doing this for business reasons. You are in business for yourself. You are your own business, right? And there are definitely natural characteristics to this industry. Uh, and again, as a girl, if you do everything that possibly could be done under the sun, you can definitely make an awful lot of money really fast. But you'll burn yourself out fast, as far as being shot out, as it were. Um, unless you market yourself really, really well. <laughs> um, adversely, if you take your time, walk through it a little bit, you know, you can you can definitely extend your career, market yourself well, you know, and the such. There are some people who will never do interracial, and there are some people who will never do anal, and there are some people who will never take a cream pie, and there are some people who are never going to swallow. Um, and you know, these are all personal or professional choices, whatever the case is, but people are in business for themselves and um, they, I guess, are trying to make whatever best career moves that they can for themselves. So, I, I mean, again, whatever they thought, they were thinking that well before they met me, if they've ever met me, so I don't take it personal. I think a lot of people that are listening, uh, hearing that a, you know, a white female performer you know, would would like not do interracial or would never do interracial. Hearing that, you know, a lot of people might get angry and be like, you know, that's racist. You know, that's not right. You know, you know, she's getting paid and whatever, whatever, whatever. So my question for you is, as a performer of color in the industry, do you see that as something racist? Like, is that something that you feel is racist? Like. You know, whenever you see that a girl all of a sudden is doing her first interracial, you know, and they've been in the game for like five to seven years, do you see that as uh, as just having to deal with race or being a, a racist-ish type of situation? What's your opinion on that as someone in the game seeing it all? I, I have seen it all, so I know it's not necessarily this or that. I know it's not necessarily one thing or the other. It's It's... Business-wise, this industry is a game of chess. There are a lot of different things you can do, a lot of different moves you can make, and based on the move that you make, there are going to be countless different outcomes. You know. Um, so with that in mind, I don't know how business-savvy these girls are, and I don't know what their personal preferences are, or their background, or whatever the hell the case is. You know. Um, but by the same token, we are aware of the decisions that they make. So um, getting back to the, to the race 
is 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 it uh race related I, I won't necessarily call it racist because I don't know what their their motives are um but it's definitely race related you can't say that it's not because you're basically putting that on the table as a factor as a variable so it it is if you're saying hey i'm I'm deciding not to do this for anything that involves this, then your decision is race related. It's not necessarily a racist decision personally uh, as to say that, you know, I will never have anything. For example, I know, I know a girl, you may, you may know her yourself, right? Uh, she's very, very popular. One of the most, she was voted like one of the most beautiful women, if not the most beautiful woman in the industry. Um, and uh, her name is Isis Taylor, okay? Isis Taylor has a black boyfriend, right? And she has been with this guy for a very long time, I think since grade school, right? And as far as I know, they are still together. She does not do interracial scenes. Does that make her a racist? Clearly not. Um, so it's, it's like I said, there's, there's a whole bunch of different factors. And then, for example, you might have another person. Yeah, who, she who, did start off doing interracial, though. Then she stopped. Well, kinda, kinda. She did. She started off with a team, right? And there were certain members on her team, and she was willing to do certain things with the members on her team because she was part of that team. When that team disbanded, what she started doing, or what she started doing off with, was no longer a factor. So she was, again, a team player to begin with, right? What happened was the team disbanded. So you will see her doing interracial with maybe two two people that weren't her, her boyfriend. Uh, and that's about, and again, that was just early in the day. And those people were on that team. They were, they were all part of the same conglomerate at that time. Um, things changed. And again, she's still, Hey, I'm, I'm team Uno, right? So they're not part of the team. So they're not part of the team. <laughs> I love you, Roddy D-Rock, but you can't have the gym anymore. <laughs> that's basically what it is. You know what I mean? But again, that has nothing to do with racism, and that's what that's what I'm saying. That again, that's a business decision, you know. Or maybe it's part business and and uh, part personal. But again, the point is, it's not racism. It, it, again, if if you are dating a black man and you have been dating this black man ever since grade school. Uh, I don't see how that makes you racially biased against black people. I try to preface these things with saying that I believe this and I believe that. I don't know for a fact, but that's true. Uh, so I'll say that I believe that they were got together in grade school and I believe, you know, such and such. But um, I guess getting back to the point at hand, though, we can agree that Ethan Hunt is a man of color, correct? Yes. Okay, and we can definitely agree that he has been dating her for quite some time, correct? Yes. Okay, and they may or may not even be married. But that being said, her even if she starts off doing interracial, and now she's no longer doing interracial, if she is having relations with a black guy, I mean, you know, it kind of takes the whole racism card off the table, in my opinion. In my opinion. So if, if her reasons for not doing it on camera are personal then fine, but you can't just go ahead and slap her with the race card. If they're a business, then fine, but you can't just slap her with the race card if you don't really know what's what. Uh, let's take, for example, um, Rochelle Ryan, right? 
Rochelle Ryan was somebody that I met uh, somewhere like 2006, 2007, something like that. Um, and again, I, I wanted to do, um, I think it was 2006. But anyway, I wanted to do a scene with her, right? And um, her, the reasons that she gave me initially were that black guys were too big, right? She said she wasn't doing interracial because black guys were too big. And me being somebody who has heard excuse after excuse and reason after reason, I don't know why, I was just for, for this one particular time when Rochelle was sitting across the desk from me, I was like, you know what, I'm going in, right? So I, was, I said, okay, you know what? Not all black guys are the same size, right? In fact, if, if, if I asked her, okay, well, let's do it this way. If I found a guy who was around this size, would you do it with him? And she was like, uh, 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 she didn't have an answer, right? Okay, so I'm like, okay, I understand. Okay, uh, so the guys are too big, too big. All right, so instead of doing a vaginal scene, how about we do a hand job scene or a blow job scene? And I was like, uh, 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 well, uh, I, uh, you know, and that's what it was at first, right? And again, I, I sort of feel bad for putting her on the spot, but kind of not. Um, but afterwards, in a non-work environment where people found to hear everything else that she was saying, she was like, hey, Jack, here's what it is. Here's why such and such, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm saying such and such and blah, 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 because, again, I would be putting other people's business in the street, which is something I try not to do. But her reasons for saying what she was saying were not her own. I will put it that way. And furthermore, she said, hey, Jack, when I do interracial, and I will, you will be my first. So I was like, all right. That being said, it didn't take too long before she absolutely did uh, stay true to her word. And in addition to that, she, she was concerned about my size specifically, my size, which is fair. Okay. So she's like, Hey, Jack, check this out. You're big. Right. And I want the scene to go well. What I would like to do is have you come over to my place. We'll practice day before such and such, blah, blah, make sure everything is good. I'm like, sounds like a plan. And we did. It was cool. Um, next day, uh, we shot the box cover scene for uh, Jack's Cream Pies and Rochelle Ryan is on the cover doing her first interracial scene with Cream Pie from Jack Napier. That being said, that's why I'm saying you can't just really hit people with, with a racist card. Sometimes the reasons that people do things are not their own reasons. Sometimes they're business decisions and they may not even know the business. Uh, so they're hearing things from other people. And um, yeah, Sometimes they just have a business agenda that, that, you know, has to do with that. Racism has its play within this industry. There's no denying that. So whether you are racist or not, you are going to play the game if you're going to be in this industry. So how people play the game is up to them, you know, and what their roles are in the game is up to them. Um, because of that, because there's so many different options and so many different variables, I won't hit somebody with that unless I know for a fact. The majority of the scene work that you've done in your career in the industry has been for interracial. You know, the, the niche genre, as they would say, is interracial porn. Correct. Your titles, whether you created the titles or the production company created the titles, did not really necessarily go too extreme with uh, like race in the title. So my question for you is, 
in general in interracial porn do you ever feel that some of the titles go a little too far you know the titles that they give the the various series and the dvds even the websites do you ever feel that interracial porn goes too far with their titles especially you know playing up race and and using um language yeah exactly (laughs) basically um Somebody asked me this before. Um, somebody asked me this uh, for for ABN and didn't need to be for ABN. And I was asked this question. Um, so, <clears throat> as far as my titles, again, um, I'm. I, I don't want to call myself an anomaly, but I didn't necessarily fall into many categories um, because my situation in this industry was different than many others. So. With again, when my early years, uh, the thing for West Coast was to maximize their investment, and I was their investment. So basically, whatever Jack did was going to have a Jack name or something like that. Some, some, something referring to Jack or Jack Tyler or something like that. Um, for example, I did. I mean, I did chasing the big ones. Um, and that title started off before it was mandated that it was going to be an interracial series. The title was already established. Um, again, there's something about Jack. We're going to market Jack because Jack's contract guy is exclusive and we want people to come see Jack. Um, what else? We've got, uh, I had uh, things like that with Jack's anal initiations, right? So, uh, and it was anal, but again, we're throwing Jack in there because we want people to come see Jack. Uh, we're going to have, um, I started the series Housewives Gone Black. I did the first two volumes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and um, it initial title was, you know, Jack Napier's Housewives Gone Black. Um, once I stopped doing the series, you know, <laughs> name changes, and it was Housewives Gone Black 34, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But again, the titles were designed during the time I was there, and it was again to maximize the the, the ones that I had something to do with. Um, Jack Napier's Asian size queens, or something like that, whatever it is, black size queens, or whatever. It was to maximize um, uh, the investment, which was me. So then you had black size queens. Why are we going to say black size queens? Well, because most of everything that Jack does, like you said, is interracial. So we want people to understand that this Jack title is going to have black size queens. Asian size queens, well, most of what Jack does is interracial, blonde, blue eyes. So we want people to understand that this is an Asian title. Um, And that's how it went. Now, seven years later... Um, I come over to uh, Voyeur Media, and the Jack name is pretty established, like we discussed before. So it's big, it's black, it's Jack, it's pretty cut and dry. You know, again, I'm contracted. We want to maximize, you know, hey, now you can see Jack over here at Voyeur Media, okay? Um, My name on the cover, my face on the cover, you know, that blah, blah, blah. Um, Moving ahead to other titles or other interracial series that had nothing to do with me <laughs> because there was not one focused character in most interracial series. It's not going to have a name like that. So you definitely want people to understand that this is an interracial series. I mean, if you don't have a name to tie to it or an idea that people are going to get off hand, you just got this new interracial title. How do you let people know that it's an interracial title? 
you have to let them know it's an original title. So you call it whatever interracial, or you give it a name that makes sure that that, that there's no misunderstanding that there's interracial uh, involved, or this is interracial theme. So it's going to be blacks on blondes, or blacks versus whites, or um, interracial wives, or you're going to use you're going to have the 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 black versus white, or you're going to use the word interracial. That's how you know that it's an interracial title. Now, for um, as far as the slurs are concerned, you know, those are titles that, that also let people know <laughs> that it's an interracial series. Um, so, uh, yeah. Some of these titles can be, like we were talking about really long titles, like unnecessarily long, ridiculously long titles as well. And some of these ones, particularly ones with the slurs, have like these ridiculously long titles. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't tell my dad that I'm doing this. <laughs> like, wow, that's a really long title. We can get hyphenate that, you know, your euphemism or something. But um, as far as my feelings... For that, you know, like I said, I feel like it's unnecessary and, and kind of ridiculous. I know that there are dedicated niches and dedicated fans to certain niches that that really like that. They're really into that. And, and it's not just white people or just Asian people or just black people. There's are like groups from all races, uh, all, from all races, you know, that that like titles like that and they they like hearing things like that there are black guys that like to hear that they like to they will tell you yeah call me that um so i mean what can i do can i tell them what not to do or what not to like or whatever not really um and because there because there is a market for it and because there are people are willing if not enjoying it they're either either willing to do it if not enjoy doing it so because of that uh, I think it's going to well. I know it's going to continue because people like it. People like watching it. People like hearing it. People like doing it. And um, when I say people, I mean you know all people. <laughs> you know, so that's that's basically what it is. Um, not my personal cup of tea. And you know, when people have asked me, "Hey, is that okay if we do this and that, whatever?" I'm like, ah, "I'd rather not." You know, I let them know I'd rather not. So there are some people who are like, you know. Um, Jack doesn't really like that, so whatever, whatever, whatever. And then other people are going to be like, well, okay, hey, Jack, thanks. We'll just hire people who are cool with it. And, you know, it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> That's my take on it. <laughs> okay. What's your take on uh, performers of color in scenes that might be using stereotypes a lot more and um you know like having the girl you know say the n-word whether it's with an a at the end or an er at the end and right. that kind of thing oh i think i pretty much covered that you know that's it's it's my that's that's how it is um there are people who like it there are people who enjoy doing it there are people who enjoy hearing it there again there there are black guys who like who like it when you call them that, they want you to call them that, you know, they will tell you to call them that, you know? Um, and again, there are white girls that are actually uncomfortable, like very uncomfortable saying it. Like, do I have to, do I have to, 
Um, but again, uh, companies are in it to make money. And if that's what makes them money, that's what they're going to try to get. You know, they, if they have fans that respond to this well and pay to see this well, then they're going to try to cater to their fans because, you know, they, they are in this to make money, you know? Um, so fans want it, fans pay for it. Uh, so we are a production company. We're going to try to get people to do it <laughs> and, uh, you know, make our fans happy so we can, uh, be happy at the end of the day. I want to talk about Ebony Erotica, black on black porn. When you started in the game, there were... I would say several companies that shot black-on-black -black porn. I mean, I think most notably Video Team, Afrocentric, you know. Obviously, West Coast Production had several lines. that You know, Black Ice, Black Market, and, uh, you know, several others. Those right. are some of, like, the big ones. Right. Where do you think Ebony Erotica has gone? Because a lot of these companies have disappeared. A lot of the lines have disappeared. And it seems like uh, if anybody wants to see performers of color, you know, black-on-black -black erotica, ebony erotica, they have to go either to amateur sites or on occasion, you know, a big-named black performer who directs, you know, someone like uh, Lexington Steele or like a Jack Napier or like a Shawn Michaels, you know, they have to come out with like a title or maybe a small line for that to be seen. What's your take on the current state of ebony erotica in the adult industry? That's, that's a real hard one for me to answer, man, because, um, yeah, like you, like you said, on the production end, I see a lot of the same thing. Um, and... Um, I'm not really sure why that is. I know that this is a, you know, it's a sales game. People think it's a sex game, but it's not. It's a sales game. So if, if what is being done is selling up one side and down the other, people are going to continue to do it because it sells and it makes them money. So if people are not doing it, it makes me think, well, for whatever reason, this is not making money. So if it's not making money, then why? Not making money because people aren't buying it. If people aren't buying it, then why? Are they not buying it because they want to see something else? Are they not buying it because tube sites? Are they not buying it because there's a bunch of stuff that they don't know about? Marketing or, you know, I don't know. Are they buying it because there's a whole other thing going on that's, that's uh, different or better? Um, what I had noticed is that um, once upon a time, there's a, a, a huge... Um, there was a huge platform. Not, I don't want to call it platform. It's a platform. Um, there was a huge talent pool of black girls once upon a time. Um, and I don't really see that so much. I see a few black girls here and there that really hit the mark and come in or what have you. But I, I really don't see the talent pool that I used to see. What I do see is uh, girls dancing a lot more. I see, I mean, I'm not saying black girls didn't dance before, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot more black girls on the dance circuit than I did before, uh, which means there's more marketing for the dance circuit 
as far as black, you know, for black girls than, than there is in this industry. Um, I don't see a lot of, there, there are a few, like literally a handful of black girls that are seriously punching and making an impact in this industry um, where their presence is undeniable. You know, they're here. Um, and if you try to look outside of that, it's like sprinkles on a Sunday. If that, you don't, you just don't really see a lot of, of, uh, a lot of black girls in this industry, period. However, on the dance circuit, man, I see a lot of that. And in the, uh, the rap video world, the, uh, the, uh, the underground, if you will, <laughs> I see, I see a, a much larger appeal. Uh, on that side, I see much larger marketing on that side than I see in this industry for whatever reason. Now, in my head, again, this is just you know my my uh, my train of thought because I don't know the the stats and specs for for certain. But in my head, again, it's 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 where's the money at? The money is money money makes things go around. Money money is is a uh, an end all for most decisions that are made. So it makes me think that uh, a lot feel that there's more money in doing that for them right now uh, as opposed to uh, what's going on in, in uh, the adult industry or at least this side of the adult industry, the film side of the adult industry. Um, so when I see a lot of girls take to the circuit and I'm now seeing uh, promotions of girls on the circuits. I'm seeing flyers like never before. I'm seeing like dance stars. Like I remember, honestly, I remember. I'll just go ahead and put it on the table. I remember when the dance circuit used to market primarily, uh, especially like in the Midwest and uh, the uh, the East Coast. Primarily, you would see the marketing for you know blonde hair, blue eyes, or redheads or brunettes, but fair skinned, you know olive skin at the darkest, you know, a lot of marketing for women of those colors, right? And on the West Coast, you would see uh, marketing for uh, Asian girls, a lot of marketing for Asian girls. Again, blonde with blue eyes, blonde with blue eyes, and all that good jazz, but a lot of, a lot of popularity for Asian girls in the, uh, on the West Coast. Um, now, again, it's not to say that they, that there weren't black girls that were dancing in the dance circuit, but again, it's, it seemed like it was a lot more underground now it seems like there's this explosion of marketing for black girls and black girls are featuring now at so many clubs where they weren't featuring before i see an awful lot of it now more so and again i'm not saying it's not being the girl that being marketed but as far as marketing it's what i have seen seems to have been a shift as far as uh marketing and featuring uh as far as that's concerned uh, still see a lot of Asian girls in the West Coast, <laughs> but um, man, uh, the East Coast, South, um, I see a lot of marketing for black girls, a lot of featuring for black girls. I see them marketed, featured, plastered up one side and down the other all over the place. So it makes me think that uh, for right now, that's probably where the money is at. Um, so it makes me think that that's where the talent pool has gone. Uh, again, I, it's speculation, just speculation, but, uh, that's what comes to my mind. When the girls were here, they may not have been marketed as well 
as they should have been, but they were getting shot. Like, for example, um, you could probably rattle off 20 names of girls of fair skin uh, in the porn industry, like, very quickly. But if I said, hey, you know, rattle off, you know, 10 black girls' names who are, are popular right now, it might take a little bit longer. Um, and that's, that's just what it is, just sign of the times. Once upon a time, different. Uh, but you know, all speculation, my good man. I don't have the stats in front of me, but that's that's my train of thought. That's what I would think. If I was just going to take an educated guess. And I appreciate that. Since we are on the topic of race, although this is more of the, the serious questions, I do want to talk to you about one of your series, which is the Tubuku series. I remember that. Yes, and... Uh, I know that you have a, an interesting story as to how that series came about and basically your own sort of, uh, I guess, gaining awareness or, or learning about the Asian and the Pacific Islander uh, community through this series. Right, right. right. Um, well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head um, as far as where it came about, uh, I I really didn't have um, an Asian series, if you will, uh, when I first when I first came to Voyeur, and um, this, again, this was a, a Voyeur media release series, and um, there was not a lot of uh, Asian girls. Like the talent again, the talent pool of Asian girls that were doing intera- doing interracial was not extremely large uh, at that time either. Um, and then it's like, okay, the girls that will do interracial are they, are they going to do Jack? <laughs> that's that's the main question. I don't care about interracial or not. Who will do Jack? Will you do Jack? That is all I care. Some won't do Jack. Some of these girls won't do Jack. But um, but anyway, <laughs> the point is. Once we started, it was just going to be, you know, uh, an Asian series. And uh, we'll call it Tubuku, the title came about. Uh, that's actually one title I did have something to do with. The title came, in fact, that was, that was my name, if I'm not that was, that was the one title that I named. Uh, Tubuku, right? And this, if you're familiar with the Full Metal Jacket uh, movie, it's very, very popular. Um, it was... Uh, it was a term that was coined by one of the Vietnamese prostitutes in, uh, in the movie, and she was referring to a black guy, so brother number one, that <laughs> she wouldn't be able to, you know, accommodate sexually because he was too big, too buku, right? So I'm like, oh man, that's perfect. <laughs> we need that. Jack Napier's too buku. So it was just going to start off as being, you know, Asian series, too buku. Um, but once I started, again, I like to, my, my approach to, to making movies, um, was to showcase the girl and in order to showcase the girl, I need to know what I'm talking about. So I ask a lot of questions about this, that background, whatever. And sometimes girls would just volunteer stories and background and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And once I started talking I mean, again, it's it's an Asian series, so you are in fact 
focusing uh, on the on the culture. You are focusing on the different races. You're basically pinpointing it for, the, for that reason. So you, you definitely want to accentuate that. And as I went into accentuating that and hitting all the bullet points of, of things that I thought the Asian series should be, I started realizing that there were a lot of things that I really did not know about uh, different Asian cultures um, and uh, different things that were Asian or Oriental. Uh, for example, <laughs> I didn't know the difference when I first started the series. I did not know the difference between Asian and Oriental. There is, in fact, a difference. <laughs> well, I don't think Oriental is a term that's used anymore. I think you mean Pacific Islander? Uh, no, it is a term that is used. <laughs> and so I will educate you on something today. Um, Pacific Islander refers to uh, a couple of things, but most uh, specifically uh, people uh, from originating or indigenous to or having roots that are indigenous to islands in the Pacific. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, but again, that's breaking, that's broken down into certain things in certain areas. In fact, it has now because of all the different, uh, islands that can be found in Pacific, the Pacific ocean, the Pacific Islander term has been broken down to a very specific region now. So if you are in this from region or if you are from this region or if you have roots from this region, you can be considered a Pacific Islander. Like for example, uh, Hawaii is, Americans. So if you were born in Hawaii, you know, you're Hawaiian, you're an American. Obama could not be considered a Pacific Islander. <laughs> Sorry. However, the term Oriental is used. However, it is not, and here's what I did not realize at the time, Oriental does not refer to people. It doesn't refer to human beings at all. Correct. So there, That's what I was no going Oriental for. Form. Yes. Yeah. Oriental, Oriental is... To Things, exactly. Items. An oriental yes. lamp, an oriental rug. Correct. And uh, yeah, and that was something I did not I did not know at yes. the time. Oriental you know? is very offensive to Asian people if you call them that. Yes, it absolutely is. It's like calling them a thing, like a robot or a, or like a rug. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so what I realized when I started doing the series was that there were a lot of things that I didn't know <clears throat> and it dawned on me that you know, I, I like to consider myself somewhat versed <laughs> in most things. Um, and I figured if I, I mean, I've got like friends, man. I've got Filipino friends and I've got uh, Chinese friends and I've got Japanese friends and I've got Vietnamese friends. i got friends from, uh, from Laos. And I mean, all these different, you know, Hmong friends. And, you know, I have all these different types of friends and still with all of this, there were so many things that I realized I didn't know. So I'm like, well, man, if, if, if I'm still, you know, underneath this blanket of ignorance about all this jazz, I imagine that the general populace might also well be, you know, uh, unknowing about a lot of these things. So I decided at that point that I was just going to, I was just going to hit home. I was just going to, I mean, I was just going to swing, swing for the fences as far as how I was going to approach this, and I was just going to hit every stereotype that I had ever heard, right? Every stereotype that I had ever heard about Asians. So this was basically uh, an edu edutainment series. It was going to be educational entertainment. 
So that's what I did. I just went on a spree of attacking stereotypes um, before I smashed the baddest Asian girls that I could find. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that, man, and I learned a lot, an awful lot. Yep, yep, yep. Good times. Good times. Yeah, man. I believe it. <laughs> Shifting away from race and uh, talking about the issue of condoms, a lot of casual porn watchers may see all of the condomless sex and not realize that the industry is heavily tested. Regardless heavily. of the amount and the consistency of the testing in the adult industry, do you ever feel worried about catching a STI or worse on set? Uh, no, to be honest with you, uh, I don't. Um, and the reason why is, uh, part, part of it is me. Uh, and I'm going to be a person who is going to live my life. Or the idea of me living my life in fear is just not something I want to do in general period, no matter what I'm doing. Um, so if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it half-heartedly because I have fear in my heart behind this. But I do take precautions, you know. So I definitely want to take the precautions that I can take. I definitely check and test. I'm definitely checking IDs and checking the, te the, the, the dates on the test. And, you know, if possible, I'll see if there's, you know, <laughs> if, if it's possible, I'll try to find out who this person has worked with in the near past, in the near, you know, uh, yeah, the recent past or stuff like that. Whatever I can find out, the more information the better. And, uh, you know, I do a little physical examination, and, you know, and I can do one <laughs> without looking too creepy. But, uh, yeah, the point is it's not so much about fear as it is about precaution. So I don't go into, you know, ridiculously scared. Um, that being said, um, Outside of this industry, I know that people test themselves far, 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 far less frequent. Um, and because of that, uh, I admittedly am uh, more reluctant to engage in, uh, in uh, sexual freedoms with people who um are not inside this industry or do not operate within this industry um, because within the industry I have somewhat of a background if I don't have a background at least I've got a reference point at least I've got some point where I know this person came in and on this day she was cleared of anything that would do me serious bodily harm um, again it's not an absolute 100% fail safe but it is a reference point which is much more than I get anywhere else more than I get anywhere else. I'm not going to get who this person's been with, where they've been the last time they tested for sure, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I could ask, but, you know, outside of this industry, it's another very uncomfortable situation. Like, you know, just asking people, like, hey, when was the last time you got tested? Some people do, but it just it throws a lot of people, if you can imagine, way off balance, way off their center, and people really don't like to feel uncomfortable like that. They're like, oh, why are you asking me that? Or, you know what I mean? Have you got something you want to tell me? And hey, create jazz. Um, again, not that people shouldn't. It's just that most people don't. Nobody likes to feel uncomfortable. But, uh, yeah, you absolutely should. You should absolutely test. And you should absolutely make sure your partner's tested. And if you're not doing either, then, yeah, I mean, protect yourself. 
there's there's plenty of ways and methods and opportunities that you can do that. Um, and if you choose to just have a good time and throw caution to the wind, well, hey, enjoy yourself, but don't cry later. <laughs> you know, roll the dice. Hey, sometimes you come up with her. Sometimes it's snake eyes. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically where I'm at. It's time for the great condom debate. What's your opinion on whether condoms should or should not be used in adult productions? Um, here's here's what I think. I think what is the difference between mandating it on TV and mandating it in personal life? That's what I think. I think uh, the mandate is a mandate, period. Um, so I don't see a difference between saying that it has to be used professionally and it has to be used personally. If I, I feel that if it comes down to where we are absolutely policed. And, and I think that's an important word, policed, uh, into using condoms mandatorily, professionally, across the board. I think that it would just be a matter of time um, before that was used as a basis to mandate a policing of condom usage in personal life. That's that's what I think. Um, I think that people should do a lot of things. Like, uh, for example, people shouldn't smoke. Even um, even producers of tobacco are forced by the federal government to give warning as to why people shouldn't smoke on every package of cigarettes that they sell. It's not a matter of whether they know that people shouldn't or not. People buy it. People do what they want to do. People are going to do what they're going to do. So whether or not they are forced <laughs> to give warning that this you know, product has been known to cause cancer factually, statistically, factually known to cause cancer, they are forced to put that on the label. They cannot sell that without that label. Um, they still put it out, and people still buy it, right? So I don't see a difference between this and mandating somebody uh, something else that someone would have to do for their own personal sake or other people's personal sake. And I, I bring up smoking because not, not only has that been, again, worldwide accepted as fact to some degree, right? Not every single time, but worldwide accepted as fact to some degree. Not only does first-hand smoking cause these problems, but second-hand smoking also causes these problems, right? So you're not just affecting yourself, you're affecting others around you. And I don't see sex much different. Um, whether that be private, casual, whatever, you're doing something that involves you and somebody else, right? Um, so we are all aware of what can happen, can happen. At that point, you know, you choose to involve yourself or not to involve yourself, um, which is, again, same thing, uh, smoking, right? There are places where 
once upon a time smoking was allowed, that smoking is no longer allowed. Why? Because it forces people to partake in your activity, an activity that has been proven to be harmful to health, right? So in those instances, it's like, hey, you can no longer do this this way. Not saying it's legal, not saying you can't do it, not saying you can't go do your thing however you want to do it, whatever, but you can't do it here like this anymore, right? Because it forces someone else to take part in your activity. Um, sex, on the other hand, outside of, you know, rape, <laughs> there is no force, uh, particularly and especially in this industry. There, there is no forced activity here. So you either partake by choice or you don't partake by choice. Uh, you understand that there's things that can happen and you knowledgeably, you know, accept that decision, you accept, this, you know, potential consequence or whatever the case is. Uh, I mean, if you smoke cigarettes and you get cancer, who do you sue? You can't sue anybody. <laughs> there's a big ass label on the box that says you could get cancer if you got cancer and there's linked to tobacco you knew that already I don't see sex as any different than that so you get an STD what do you sue you already know this you know what I mean now on the other hand on the other hand like, like I said we're talking about um, things that that you don't know like if you're talking about um uh, HIV virus or AIDS or something like that, right? At the end of the day, you absolutely um, are not 100% protect, protected against this because of the testing. So if that happens and testing protocols are followed or what have you, blah, 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 it's just it's the nature of the virus. It's the nature of the virus. There's only so much that testing can do because of the nature of the virus. Um, there has to be so much of it present in your system before it's detectable. And unfortunately, it takes a certain amount of time for that amount to be detected. And that's just the nature of the virus. That's why it's so deadly. So that being said, actually, you know what? I shouldn't say deadly. Once upon a time, it was absolutely deadly. Uh, but now, you know, we have medications. We have people are working on cures. The point is, once upon a time, people were dying quickly uh, of AIDS, or excuse me, of, of AIDS-related symptoms. Um, and whereas now people are living, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, what have you. Um, so, well, 20 or 30 years anyway, I shouldn't say 40, because um, we haven't gotten to that marker yet. After all this, the epidemic is not that old yet, or the epidemic that started is not that old yet. So, but we definitely have people that have gone span 10 years, 20 years, and even 30 years. Um, so, um, da -da 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 -da. I feel that based on the same similarities, the same reasons, I don't feel that it should be mandated um, and policed. Um, but if we do get to a point where that's exactly what happens, I feel like it won't be long before it's happening in the homes as well. Well, speaking of mandating and policing, there is something that's called Measure B, which is also known as the County of Los Angeles Safer Sex in the Adult Film Industry Act. And that's, that's been correct. in effect. 
And I know that they were trying to do something else called Assembly Bill 1576 that ended up not happening. But Measure B has been in effect, and uh, it seems that some production companies and studios are slowly moving their productions and their filming content to Las Vegas. I know that there are talent management firms that are, you know, popping up and and creating Las Vegas offices and whatnot. So as a performer that's been in the industry for over 15 years, someone who's a veteran, someone who's, uh, you know, seen it all from VHS to DVD to video on demand, what's your opinion on what's been going on with the adult industry since the passage of Measure B? Uh, a lot of what you said is is true, but to be honest, uh, I know Measure B, the way it's written and put into place, um, is relatively new. But the concept, actually, the law, to be honest with you, that uh, condoms were supposed to be being used has been in effect since the '80s, maybe longer maybe 70s, I'm not sure. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is there has always been a law, uh, at least in California, for condom usage. Um, I know a lot of people didn't know that, but uh, yeah, it's one of those things like uh, spitting on a sidewalk, expectorating in public. Absolutely a law. You absolutely can get a ticket for it. It's absolutely an infraction, but it's not really policed. It's not really enforced. Um, now, once upon a time, mm, actually, I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> let's let's just get back to your question. Uh, I do see a lot of that happening, but on the other hand, um, what I don't see is a lot of difference now. Uh, as far as, you know, I gotta be careful with that too. <laughs> That's a step in it, not being able to take it off my shoe. Um, so I will say, yes, you, you are correct. A lot of companies are, are moving their, uh, their place of business uh, outside of Los Angeles County. They're setting up offices outside of LA County, like you said, uh, some as far as Vegas, some even further. Um, Florida, uh, and, and you know, Florida is uh, again another another uh, state that has its uh, laws in place about such things. They have a lot of laws over there, Broward <laughs> County in particular, a lot of cool laws over there. But um, yeah, some people are either are even uh, like I stated before, uh, outsourcing, if you will. Um, a lot of um, stuff is being now shot in in uh, other countries on other continents and it was being done before uh for the sake of um getting different types of movies different types of locations different types of girls and once upon a time it was just less expensive to do it that way it's like getting so much more for less was a beautiful thing but now, instead of being uh convenient and economically sound it's it's more of a uh, a necessary move just to uh, remain in business with, with everything that the industry is getting hit with left and right. Um, so I don't, in fact, I'll put it this way. I have been 
fortunate enough uh, to not experience too many raids. In fact, I've only been in one raid uh, my entire career. I was raided. I was at a uh, location that was raided once. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, there was there was not a whole bunch of guff. There was no whole bunch of hassle. I was uh, placed in in handcuffs for a, a small moment of time, which I, unfortunately I wasn't too unaccustomed to. <laughs> it was like a flashback because it hadn't happened in a long, long time. It's like, oh wow, this is weird. Yeah, <laughs> listeners, download part one for all of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But, uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> at the end of the day, I think we were there for about 30 minutes and it slowed stuff down, but, uh, then they left and, and they told us why they came and it, basically the reason why they came in the first place is because somebody, uh, somebody in production, uh, had been, had decided to do some things that were just causing way, way, way too much attention in the front of the house, you know, and in the streets and all this other good jazz. Uh, that had to do with the lead up for this particular scene and they just causing way, 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 way too much attention. Um, I mean, if you're going to be doing dirty stuff, okay, cool. You know, I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> driving down an old Impala with, while you're having sex, <laughs> driving down the street with five girls in the bag. But, but if you're going to do this, you know, understand what's involved. Um, so basically they did whatever wild, cool stuff that they did and they drew a lot of attention to themselves, and then they came back to the place where they had started from. So that's how people knew where they were. And uh, by the time I got there, you know, this had already happened. I show up, and maybe 10 minutes later, I'm handcuffed up against the wall. So the, the, the cops actually let us know how they got there, how they find it was. Like, hey, man, are you guys going to do this stuff? You know, try to keep a long profile. <laughs> and they left. You know, there were a couple of tickets, given to a director, you know, community service, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that was that. No footage was taken. Um, so it was, it was not a horrible day. It was basically, you know, hey, please don't front us off next time. You know, here's, here's some community service because I got to give you something, but please don't front us off next time, basically. Um, so now, with this new measure in place, from what I understand... It's supposed to be more severe punishment, like much, much more severe punishment, much more extensive punishment. Um, but the 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 realist in me is like, how how do you enforce that? I mean, I don't want I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to ignite any fires and have people like like oh. This nigga thinks we're joking. <laughs> oh gosh, Jack just said the N word. Dun dun dun. Told you this was going to be the drama episode. All right, so anyway, yeah, I don't want to say too much about all that good jazz, but it does, it, it, yeah, it, it kind of, the realist in me has that question mark. Like, how do you enforce that? How do you enforce that? Um, but yeah, like you said, a lot of people are, are deciding that, um, and for other reasons, not just because of, of, of the new measure, uh, Vegas is very popular and has been, period, for a while now, because Vegas has has um, picked up some new uh, tolerance and leniency for a lot of things that they were 
death on once upon a time. Once upon a time, Vegas had a zero tolerance for several things, right? I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of details, but for for a place that's considered the, the city of sin, there were definitely a lot of things that you couldn't legally do in Vegas. A lot of that has changed. And one of the things that has not changed and has always been is no state tax. No state tax, which means it's less expensive to operate during the year and at the end of the year. Um, in addition to that, uh, Vegas is, I mean, Vegas is one of those booming, growing, consistently booming and growing cities, like almost like no other. Um, Vegas is growing. There's um, places to live, real estate, just coming up left and right, once, you know, one after the other. There are hotels coming up one after the other. It's like every, every time you go to Vegas, you go to Vegas twice a year, three times a year, I guarantee you, every time you go to Vegas, you're going to see a change in the demographic. You're going to see a change in the landscape. You're going to see a change in the skyline. Every time you go, it's developing that fast. Um, and another thing was basically means you're always going to have a place to go, things to do, and um, places to shoot. <laughs> um, it's well connected. There are a lot of other things going on out there. So as soon as you tie in, come in, hey, boom, boom, boom. Um, it, it sells well. It's a good marriage is what I'm saying. City of Sin and the porn industry, it, just, it, <laughs> it already makes sense that it would be a good marriage. Um, as long as, again, people don't go out there and act a damn fool. Um, additionally, the cost of living in Vegas is considerably less than California. Considerably less than California. Um, if I were to move out there, I definitely would miss the valley. I would miss the 818. I would miss the beaches. I would miss Six Flags. I would miss being so close to everything. Um... Disneyland, like an hour away. Knott's Berry Farm, like 45 minutes away. Uh, Six Flags is like 20 minutes away. The beach is like 30, 40 minutes away. Hollywood's like right over the hill. Universal Studios is right down the street. There are a lot of things that are very local to me that I would miss if I were to go to Vegas. But that being said, if I wanted to start a company, start a life, buy a home, Things like that, you know, significant stuff. Now would be a great time to do that in Vegas. It would be a fantastic time to do that in Vegas. And I think a lot of people see that, and you're starting to see that in the migration pattern. It's been going on for a couple of years, I'd say. But, yeah, since the measure passed, it, it's pretty serious. It's like full steam ahead now. <laughs> and to wrap up sort of our conversation, at least about condoms and whatnot in the industry, I have to ask... Have you ever caught a sexually transmitted infection on set? Yes. Yes, yes, I have. Yes, I have. In fact, I, I have more than once. But that being said, in 15 years, I can count the times that I did on one hand. Those odds yep, aren't yep, bad. Yep. Not too bad, all things considering. I've been having an awful lot of sex in the last 15 years, okay. right? And I'm still here to talk about it. So the things that I did catch, if you will, um, were I was fortunate enough to be able to take a pill and take a week off. and be They were of the curable variety. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, and really, uh, to, to be really, 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 really accurate, um, take pill, to be honest, things are taken care of within my system. Um, as far as, as far as a potential hazard or whatever within the first 24 hours. Um, but what people don't understand and what the testing would show is that even though the cells that, um, that make up this, uh, this bacteria that, uh, I want to call it a virus because you can get rid of it and then not a virus, viruses you can't get rid of. Um, but this bacteria, whatever it is, the cells that make up these bacteria, um, whether that be gonorrhea or whether it be syphilis or whether it be, you know, whatever, chlamydia, um, the medications that we take will kill off this bacteria within 24 hours. Absolutely kill it. However, it's still in your system. It's dead. It's not active. It's not causing your body any harm, but your body has not flushed it out yet. So that being said, um, if we were to test too early, the testing that we do checks for these cells. And if the cells, it doesn't check to see if they're dead or alive. It just checks the makeup of the cell to see if it's present. So the test will say, hey, this is still in your system. Kind of like uh, you could compare it to uh, a burglary, right? Sounds weird, but I'll explain. Burglar comes into your house. He's basically a potential threat. He could do whatever, 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 right? Pow, you shoot him. Now he's lying on your floor. <laughs> he's no longer a potential threat, correct? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but he is still in the building. So you don't touch him. You know, you sit there, you chill, call your 911. The proper authorities come show up, check him out, you know, and then they get him the hell out of your house, you know? clean cut he's got a gun there his fingerprints are on it he's got one shot to the chest whatever you're still standing there your gun's registered clear case of self-defense he's in the house it's a you know it's a tight story and that's it he's gone but that takes some time right the very same with bacteria within your system bacteria gets into your system boom now you're aware it's in your system you take the medication boom within 24 hours bacteria is dead however it is still in your system. It is still present. And uh, the test to show, or the test that we take will still show it until it has been flushed completely out of your system, which takes anywhere from three days to a week. But it's better just to wait the week. A thing. Yeah. <laughs> so on a different tip, but in a similar vein... In the time that you've been in veins, huh? <laughs> Yikes. Tips and veins. Yikes. Yeah, there you go. In the time that you've been in the industry, there have been a couple of moratoriums. Moratoriums, Correct. for those that don't know, are when whenever a performer is tested and uh, you know they have HIV, they test positive for it. There's basically like a halt in production 
of like titles until you know because they have you know there's sort of like a system in in place and there are people who are like first generation of exposure which are people that actually had scenes with that person and uh, we'll call them you know patient x you know people that had scenes with patient x and then there's like second generation which are people that did not have sex with patient x but had sex with people that had sex with patient x and then you know yada 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 they got to figure all that out they got to test people make sure everything's okay and so there's basically a halt in production as a performer who's in the industry who's experienced moratoriums what's that situation like you know for you especially since you're a performer so you're like waiting for that check you're waiting for that money you know you have these scenes oh. lined up and then all of a sudden all these scenes stop and that kind of thing and what's your general experience like experiencing moratoriums well i'm i'm fortunate enough to not be living on a check-to-check basis as far as this industry is concerned. I'm fortunate enough to uh, not be in that particular situation, so that's cool. Um, But production stops. So, for example, if I did a scene and um, the the moratorium goes into effect the next day, um, I'm still going to get paid because that's already in the can or what have you. But any scene that I had slated you know, during that time for the moratorium is, is canceled. It's suspended. Um, so generally speaking, moratoriums are anywhere from, you know, a few days to like a week and a half, depending. That's generally what it's been, unless it does get pretty extensive and things start to go outside of that, uh, second generation circle that you were talking about. And then it can last longer. Um, the longest one that I have been involved in has been about 45 days. Fortunately, I was contracted in a very sweet contract, which, uh, provided that even if they were not allowed to, or if they were not able to book me, um, I would still be paid. Uh, on top of it, we had talked about that. That's right. And then another one of our earlier interviews. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I still, even though, um, I didn't work for 45 days. I still made $9,000. It wasn't bad. Not a bad 45 days off. Um, so that being said, um, what it's like is just uh, don't shoot. Don't have sex. Uh, the rest of the business goes on. The rest of the um, inner workings with the infrastructure of the companies still continue. Uh, marketing still continues. Trade shows will still continue. Um, all of the uh, office automation will still continue. Clerical paperwork, all that good jazz will still continue. Administrative will still continue. It's just a halt in production. So, I mean, if you've got other things that you want to do, a lot of girls will be like, okay, well, I can't do that, so I guess I'm going to go ahead and hit the dance tri- dance circuit. They'll dance for a while until it's done. Or they'll, you know, if they're local and don't feel like dancing or whatever, um, some of them will opt to do cam shows, Skype shows, whatever. Uh, guys, you know, guys do what they do. Some of them strip. Uh, some do cam shows, you know what I mean? Um, you can host parties. Or you, again, whatever it is that you do that is not having sex, is is basically what you do until it's over. And then when it is, you know, 
Hooray, get fresh new tests and go back to work. Thanks for filling us in, because uh, I don't think a lot of performers typically talk about what a moratorium is like, so I appreciate uh, the candor. Yeah, I mean, you really nailed it. I mean, you, you basically, you were actually very detailed and descriptive of what it is and what it is like. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's basically it. As far as, it's, it's not like everybody... It's not like freeze tag where the entire industry just <laughs> stands perfectly still for the next week and a half and nobody does anything. Uh, no, I mean, I can't, I can't tell an individual how to live their life, but uh, I mean, hey, you're, you've got a few days off where you're not going to be shooting scene. So, you know, do what you do. Take a, take a vacation if you want, if you can afford it, if you can do it, or, or take a trip to go visit some family or go to Six Flags or whatever. Or work on your webcam or, or work on a dance circuit or in my case um you know i'll do some t-shirts or, some jerseys, or i'll go dj somewhere or volunteer my time and, and uh you know energy to you know a charity somewhere or whatever it is um just do whatever it is that you do that is not boning yeah <laughs> That's it. spend some time with your kids whatever I'm looking forward to the answer to this question. Okay. Because I know that this is something that gets under your skin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. You guys want to know what grinds Jack Napier's gears? My gears. What grinds my gears? It's this right here. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm anxious to hear it. <laughs> I know. Civilians. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. term that the adult industry seems to have... Uh, taken to mean non-porn performers so you know Can I tell you something uh-huh it's it's not just an adult industry thing it's it's <laughs> unfortunately it's basically everybody who is in the entertainment industry or, or that's what well, you never really like. hear celebrities say civilians like in interviews how, maybe how i don't know what they do in their private life though. celebrities though okay because I'm going to tell you, they say it amongst each other. They definitely say it amongst each other. They'll definitely say it in clubs. They'll definitely say it at parties. They may not say it in interviews because they've been trained how to do interviews, whereas people in this industry have not for the most part. These guys have managers tell them exactly what to say. They've got public relations people tell them how to answer questions, all this good jazz, right? I know this because I've had the same thing. I'm not always true to it, but I've had it. You know what I mean? Um... <clears throat> But, uh, again, once you're away from the public eye, and we all know how, you know, people do things when they're away from the public eye, don't they? <laughs> okay, so when they're away from the public eye, it's different when they feel like they're amongst their friends. Like, ah, oh, such and such, this civilian came up to me and that, and this civilian came up to me and the other. And, yeah, it seems like it's a term coined by people who think that they are better than other people simply because they do not have a nine to five simply because they uh, are you know uh, in the entertainment industry uh, and it, it's something that really bugs me because yeah that does that does go in my gears it does bug me as a, as a veteran of the military uh, it, it does bug me and in my opinion in my opinion right um, that term um, should not be being used by people who are not in a position of service, i.e., if you are 
if you are a fireman, then yeah, I could see you calling people civilians. Why? Because <laughs> you're a person of service that saves lives. If you are uh, a policeman, then I would be like, okay, you're a person of service who is supposed to be saving lives. <laughs> you like how I did that, right? <laughs> supposed to be saving lives. <laughs> um, and of course, the military, where you know the term is supposed to be uh, saved for. Um, if you are active duty military, then uh, you are a non-civilian, right? And everybody else pretty much is a civilian. Yeah. Save if you want to, if you want to, um, again, extend that courtesy to people of service. In fact, I would even go as far as doctors. Doctors, uh, I mean, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of a stretch, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel so irritated if I heard that coming from a doctor because he is a person of service, even though it's private practice generally. Um, he's a person of service that you know he's out there saving lives. You know what I mean? He's on a different, he's on a different level than other people. You know what I mean? If you are like a professor at high school, it didn't work out. If you're a professor of college, or if you're a professor in university, you're a civilian. If you're an actress and you're not on active duty in the military, you're a civilian. If you are a comedian and uh, you are not part of the fire department currently, you're a civilian. Being in front of the camera does not make you a non-civilian. Being active duty <laughs> in the military makes you a non-civilian and really nothing else. Save again. Courtesy is extended to other people of service. Besides that, you're a civilian. Okay, I said it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it is what it is, man. You're a damn civilian. Absolutely. I understand man. it's a, it's one of those relaxed terms now that people just go ahead and use, like, like the word "ain't," which what's upon time was not in the dictionary, now can be just because of common usage. The term of civilian is not something I, I know it's not going to stop because the usage of it is so common. But it's wrong. It's wrong. Wrong! Wrong! Yes. Wrong. <laughs> something that we didn't discuss when we were talking about race is the fact that you got a lot of flack in, I would say, was it maybe towards the beginning of the career or was it towards the middle of the career? Because you, it appeared as if you were not shooting with uh, black female performers. I know that there, you like casually mentioned to me before that, you know, that fans would sometimes say, you know, Jack doesn't like black girls. Uh, actually, that... That wasn't really coming so much from fans, actually. That was more internal, and I had a very serious problem with that. Okay, so it was internally with the performers, with black female performers. Correct. Okay. Um, and they were the ones that were telling me that they didn't, they didn't think or didn't know that I liked black girls or shot black girls. Uh, there was there was an individual that was actually going as far as to tell girls that I did not shoot. 
black girls. And and the worst part about it is I, he was an agent and I was actually hiring black girls from him. And I was actually using his locations. So I'm shooting his black girls in his houses. And he's still turning around and paying him. I'm paying him for the location and I'm paying him for the girls and I'm paying his girls. And he's still turning around and telling girls that I don't like to shoot black girls. And I'm shooting his black girls in his houses. And he's telling these black girls that I don't like shooting black girls. I, I, it, didn't, it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, for whatever reason, I've had several lines uh, for both companies, for both uh, West Coast and for... Um, Border media, and I don't mean I appeared in other people's lines, which I also did. I mean I had my own, which I shot and directed, and had my name on the cover, you know. And I looked and I scouted and hunted for black girls and called up and blah blah blah, um, and even had uh, nominations <laughs> for the, you know some of the series that I did. Um, I shot black girls. I like black girls. It's it's not about black or, or white or Asian or this either. You you know what I mean? I don't got no tights. Bad bitches are the only things that I like. <laughs> anyway, so I'm doing this and doing this and doing this, and I wasn't really thinking about it. It just hit me as it, it wasn't. I wasn't thinking like, oh, I got to do this black series so people know that I'm doing black girls. No, I was doing what I wanted to do. Because I could. I was in a great position to get paid to do what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. I did it how I wanted to do it. I dressed the girls the way I wanted to. Picked the girls I wanted to. Shut the places that I wanted to do it. I mean, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. If I didn't want to do that, that's all I have to say. I don't want to shoot black girls. And you would never see Jack Napier in a scene with a black girl. But you've seen plenty, have you not? Yes. Word. In fact, I've got compilations. <laughs> I've done so many. Yes. I've done so many. There are, there are compilations out. Like, in fact, we have a black all stars just because I've so many. I've done so many heavy hitters. Like we were talking about Ariana Star. Shout out to Ariana Star. Stone. Yeah, shout out to Misty Stone, man. I mean, they're like yes. heavy, heavy hitters. Anna Fox. Anna Fox is a cool big name. She's up and Love she's not. She's not Anna there Fox. yet. She's on her way. She you know is I mean? on her way. She's gonna. Yeah. She's. She's got like the she's on the express lane to on her way because yeah. she's shooting up the, to the top. Yeah, I was one of the first people to shoot with with uh, with Anna Fox, and I told her, "I'm like, man, you're gonna blow." I've told her she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, she's absolutely awesome, right? But she's the, a, yeah, she's like, like a, the she looks exactly like that actress Tika Sumter. You know what's funny? I'm going to tell you who she actually looks exactly like. Back in the day, right? And I showed her the pictures and it messed her up. She was like, whoa, right? Back in the day, Afro, uh, Afrocentric video team, there were these two twins, Mocha and Chocolate. That might be a little before your time, but there are these twins, Mocha and Chocolate, right? Look up Mocha and Chocolate and then look at Anna Fox and see if they don't look related. She looks like the third twin or triplet, sorry the third twin. She looks like the missing triplet, put it that way. Mocha and chocolate. Afrocentric. A little bit. I don't I see Anna I see uh Tika Sumter more. Mm, look at some different pictures. Find <laughs> <laughs> <Way> more pictures. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is um 
Yeah, yeah. I don't see. It. I see maybe. I don't know. Maybe with one of them. I don't know if it's mocha or chocolate, but no I worries, see it man. more with Tika Sumter. Because you got you got to see him up close. That's why. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's do a reunion close. with mocha and chocolate and uh, Anna Fox. Oh man, if only that would be that would be crazy. That would be crazy. That would be something. I'm pretty sure Mocha and Chocolate are living fantastic lives, um, you know, mothers and wives and stuff like that. Or maybe not, but, yeah. you know, that's how I envision them. Hang right out now. with Ariana Starr and uh, Leilani Lee. Uh, maybe. Who knows, man? Living life, man. That's it. Red cups and ice. <laughs> They're just living life. Red cups with the ice. <laughs> Word. I'm all shrimmered up right now. <laughs> oh, Jack Napier. I just call me Jack Shrimmer right now. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, yeah, boss, that's, that was that was definitely one of the things that kind of bugged the hell out of me when, when I was being told stuff or when people were being told that I didn't like black girls. It's 100% not the case. Um, for whatever reason, the interracial niche took off for me right people really liked seeing and not just seeing people paid and i think that's a big a big big difference for whatever reason i don't know what the reason is but for whatever reason the black numbers were not the same as the interracial numbers right the interracial numbers were doing two to three times as much as me and the black girls and that's just just what it was uh, and, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I feel like I put more effort into the black series um, as far as picking and choosing, as far as uh, dressing, as far as making sure the girls look as, as bad as I mean, I was trying to make these girls look like H&M covers, Maxim covers. Uh, I, I was trying to make these girls look like, you know what I mean, like. Double XL and and all of that good jazz. You know what I mean? I was trying to get these girls looking Shout bad. out to Double XL magazine. Yeah, no Wherever doubt. The heck you know you are. I mean? Right? I was trying to get that Maxim cover. All of that, man. I was trying to have every single girl look like uh, like a rhinestone embedded and crusted and dipped in diamonds and and you know having them looking like. Uh, be together every single one of them you know what i mean <laughs> i was trying to go hard uh summertime sick ass houses glistening pools i mean i really definitely uh went out in fact i'm just going to shout out black bottom girls series because that was a that was a dope series black bottom girls man that was uh definitely a series where i was definitely trying to showcase these women and show them it's just uh, a brighter nicer cleaner light um i think a lot of a lot of black girls are showcased as um, these hoes and these pros and, the, and all that good jazz, and that's fantastic or whatever. But um, I, <clears throat> this is this is where I started kind of playing the race card myself, if you will. Uh, I started seeing a difference in marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, the white versus the black. Um, like uh, with the white girls, I would see uh, her name, uh, Karen Summers, or uh, uh, Edna Margold, or uh, whatever the hell her name is. You would see their first name and their last name and all this. And then over here, you see uh, uh, maybe a first name. If you did see a first name on a box cover, but it was like a, 
uh, cheerleader hookers, black cheerleader hookers, or, or black uh, black uh, prostitute fillies, or <laughs> whatever, or uh, hip hop hoes and shit. Actually, somebody somebody made a compilation of. Uh, well, I, I can't say somebody because you know where it comes from. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say that uh, there is a Voyeur Media compilation of me with black girls called Jack's Hip Hop Hose. For the record, I do not approve of the title. I am not a fan. Not at all. <laughs> Just saying. Hip Hop Hose? Really? And the person who came up with that title, they know who they are. So I'm not going to, you know, grab any names or drag them through the mud or nothing like that. But <laughs> it's not my product. I don't own the product, but my name's on it. So that meant, and my face is on it. So that being said, I did not approve of that title. I am not a fan. But I am a fan of all the girls that are in there, and I'm a fan of the scene. So, um, yeah, man. Um, uh, things like that kind of started to bug me when, you know, I would see uh, names and faces and titles over here and over here. I would see uh, Ebony Ho and Black Ho and <laughs> whatever. Uh, this slut and this prostitute and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And not even a name attached to the face. So, uh, yeah, it was like, you know, like cattle. Like if I'm looking to see who it is, it's like, I don't even know what her name is. Uh, during the scene, there's no editing. Or you'll see like <laughs> names flash through, uh, starring this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, but not attached to the face. You just see like a black card, right? <laughs> and names scrolling up the black card. And then you cut to the scene, but you don't know what the name of this girl is. She does a good scene or whatever. Can't research her. Look at and you look at the other ones. It was like, oh, teeth footage in the beginning. You see her face and her name's right there next to it. It's the first and last name and blah, 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 and blah, 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 whatever, right? I'm just saying it's something that I noticed or whatever, whatever. So I wanted to do something different about that. So, uh, yeah, with black bottom girls, I definitely wanted to have some serious teeth footage in the beginning, definite trailer. Uh, the, uh, the intros, I wanted them to be fantastic. I, I wanted them to just be tropical summery, bikini lab like i said i, I want this to be maxim shit double xl shit right and i definitely wanted them to be showcased with their name what's your name where can i find you where can fans reach out to you i wanted them to get as much exposure as i as i could possibly offer them in the brightest light that i could do it um so um yeah man black bottom girl definitely check that out absolutely man Okay, something that I want to get your take on as an adult industry veteran, someone who's been in the game for many years, recently-ish, the industry has been um, really embracing these two particular genres that were, that are, I should say, maybe taboo-ish in nature. The first genre is cuckolding. And the second genre is the whole stepfather, stepbrother genre type of thing, which I like to call incest light, in my opinion, because that's kind of like <laughs> okay. what they're trying to do. Okay. So, what's your opinion on some of these sort of more taboo uh, 
I don't know what you would call it, like niches, you know, sort of being embraced by the industry and, uh, you know, becoming these major productions and series uh, in the game. Because I believe, I'm trying to remember, I think you've been, well, you've been in, like, cuckolding scenes for, like, for, like the Dog Fart Blacks on Blondes site. Right. And I'm trying to remember, I think you've done, like, the stepfather scenes, too, haven't you? I'm trying to remember if I have, um, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to remember if I have, nothing really comes to mind though. I'm trying to see, I don't want to say, no, I haven't done anything like that. I'm trying to remember if I have, but honestly, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, I think you have. I'm trying. I can't remember either, but I know. I mean, obviously, you know, you know that that genre exists. So I just want to get your general take on it as a veteran in the game as a veteran um i mean i don't know um i don't know that i i that i have a, a necessarily a quote unquote veterans uh perspective of of a genre that's been around of, of a couple of genres that have been around much longer than i have been alive um so i, I guess just as a as a person in general um with with the the incest ish incest light yeah uh did you say incest light <laughs> yes that's basically it's what not, it is it's not it's not quite incest, it's not quite incest but it's close decaffeinated enough incest. <laughs> decaffeinated <Yeah>. yes <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, so it's in the silver can. I think it, it again. It goes. It goes back to um, making money, man, uh, and trying to trying to tap into that market that other people haven't tapped into necessarily, um, or at least wholeheartedly, um, and trying to find a way to to tap into that because it, it's a very dedicated market. Um, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's art imitating life. This is something that exists, you know, both of these taboos are things that exist. And I guess they're only taboos because of the society that we live in here. If we were to move or visit and see other places, you would see that the reins on these things are considerably less tight. Um, considerably looser, if you will, right? Um, we are now on a global scale when it comes to reaching our audience where once upon a time it was uh, VHS and DVD and it was only, you know, we were focused mainly on, you know, the United United States uh, and areas within, stuff like that. Now, with the shift of the the internet and the power of this internet and its its reach its worldwide reach um you get a chance to see what people do and live and like and enjoy i mean in real time and you get a chance to see um what things play out what things are acceptable what things are legal um what things are desired, you get to get a chance to, to monitor all of this in real time. 
So with a little bit of research, you figure, okay, man, I know I can't get away with a whole lot of this jazz over here, but I can definitely make a lot of money out on this over here because it's legal and they don't have any over here, you know, boom, boom, boom. And, and they're down to pay for this jazz. So you put it together, you make your money, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And because it's on the web, um, it's not long before it's accessible in other places. You know what I mean? Um, the World Wide Web opens up the world into a, into a, it turns, basically it turns the entire world into an ocean, if you will, right? Which is why the term piracy is so large and so uh, important and impactful. Um, the web makes what used to be something so localized to the United States, it makes it now an open seas of of revenue. Um, so getting back to these um, specific taboos, uh, again, really taboo here, I suppose. Well, I know it's really taboo here, but not so much in other countries. Um, and I, I will leave that up to you and, and your fans to research, listeners to research. But um, believe me, these, these companies have done their research. So they, they know what is working because that is what they're doing consistently and it is growing and they're making money off it as they, you have seen in your demographics. So um, that's, that's pretty much, uh, you know, my take on it. It's art imitating life. They found a way to make money uh, off of uh, what they know people like and um, found a legal way to do it, or if not a semi-legal way to do it, or at least they haven't been caught for it yet. <laughs> so that's it, man. Whatever you can do to it. And we've we been a boundary pushers before. We've, we've had uh, people who have um, uh, gone to bat and uh, gone to court, and some have even gone to jail uh, to protect this, uh, this freedom of speech and freedom of press and uh, these freedoms that we have to to um, display and portray the things that we do the way that we do, um, and and these things, these battles, these freedom of speech battles, even go on uh, today. Um, freedom of you know assembly and all of these things they, they go on today um, because. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to continue to protect the liberties that we feel that we should have constitutionally. And there are so many people constantly that have their own agendas that would uh, benefit somehow by shutting down some of these um, protected, you know, liberties, if you will, um, to further their own personal cause or conglomerate cause or whatever um it's 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 one of those things like i said it's it's this taboo because it's a touchy subject it's hard to kind of get into and you know <laughs> legally i don't know how much i can say about it anyway <laughs> but uh yeah um i think with the the incest light as you call it um, I think that uh, legally there is there is nothing um, 
I mean, in real life. Let's just call it, let's take it real life. In real life, if you've got a stepdaughter or whatever, or a stepson or whatever the case is, right? Um, it, it definitely calls for divorce, but it's not a criminal matter. Um, so there's really nothing that can be done. I mean, there's plenty that can be done civilly, I suppose, if that's the case. Uh, but uh, legally, like criminal-wise, I don't think that there's anything criminal about it because you're not technically related. So it opens up that door, you know, like uh, like all the drama television shows that we watch on TV about all the things that people do that they maybe shouldn't do that are morally not right or whatever, according to the society that people would frown upon and raise an eyebrow. But as much as we see that shouldn't be happening, that's what people flock to and gravitate towards more than anything. And the network television shows are proof positive of that. So, um, I don't see this again. <laughs> it's, it's our imitating life in that sense as well. Um, so what do we do? We're going to get this, uh, this genre right here, this, uh, this niche, and we're going to have this moral dilemma right here of eyebrow raising stuff that is perfectly legal that people would frown upon and we're going to make a movie out of it and we'll see what it does and oh lo and behold regardless of what people say to themselves in public or to their friends in public or whatever when they go home this is what they're watching just like uh uh how to get away with murder on abc plug 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 <laughs> Just like everything that Shonda Ryan puts out, right? All these moral dilemmas, this married man sleeping with the help or whatever, president or whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is what people flock to, man. Shonda Ryan's fantastic example of that, right? I don't see it as any different. Mm -hmm. um, and the other, the other genre was, uh, was uh, the cuckolding. Mm -hmm. Now, this is uh, a lifestyle, you know, for, again, life imitating art. This is a lifestyle for many people that I was introduced to maybe 10, 11 years ago. Um, and uh, now probably more than that. Yeah, um, maybe a little bit more than that, 12 years ago, something like that, 13, something. The point is this. Um, I, I did not realize at this time that there were guys who got off <laughs> on watching their wives have sex with other men. And uh, to a much, much smaller degree, vice versa, women who get off watching their men have sex with other women. Uh, I mean, I didn't... This is like mind... Coming up in the society that I come up in, right? This is like mind-blowing. This is just so adverse to everything I'd ever been taught. Like, whoa, how, how can this be? This is, this is not right. This is wrong. It's crazy. But... People were happy. They wasn't hurting anybody. You know, it was, again, that taboo, that moral dilemma, what should and shouldn't be done, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, um, people talk about cheating and what is and what isn't cheating. Cheating is stepping outside of the established boundaries of the relationship. That's what cheating is, right? Cheating is when you are not playing by the rules. That's what cheating is. But these couples or these uh, husbands and wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, if they have that established within their relationship that this is not cheating, then guess what? It's not. If that's what they got established in their relationship and that's what works for them and they enjoy doing it and they, you know, do it with each other, 
co-conspire to make it happen. <laughs> it's not cheating. So, um, at least not in my eyes, you know what I mean? Regardless if anybody else tells you, that's, that's how I see cheating, man. If you guys come to a mutual understanding, you guys think that you're doing things mutually together or whatever, at least of the same mindset mutually, and you decide, hey, this is what it's going to be, and you're not stepping outside of each other's rules that you have established, you're not cheating. No matter what your rules are, every relationship is going to be different. No two people are going to have the same relationship as another two people, right? They're going to have their own things that work for them. It's only cheating when you step out of those established rules that you've set for each other. So, um, in the uh, in the genre of this particular cuckolding, there are degrees, right? Some of it is on one side. Uh, very uh, amicable, very loving, very nurturing. And on the far end of that, the <laughs> far opposite end of that, <laughs> it's quite quite the opposite. It's uh, pure humiliation, pure degradation. <laughs> it is abject humiliation. Right? <laughs> so, um, but again, that's, that's what they're in it for, for whatever reason. You know what I mean? That is what they are in it for. So I um I have been in a couple of scenes and I've been in some scenes that are uh, I've been in scenes that are on both ends of the spectrum, you know. Um, <clears throat> some have gone as far as to be um, I would say inherently bisexual in nature, um, and with that being said, that's where I draw my personal line. Right. So, uh, yeah, whatever they do after I am gone, I, you might have seen some things, you know, seen some scenes, like I said, where that's going on. If I'm in a scene, then the guy's going to be over here. I'm going to be over here with her. And then, you know, when I'm done with what I'm done, whatever he does after that, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I don't have interactions with the male during during a cuckold scenes or really with any scenes. I don't have interactions with the male uh, male co-stars. Um, but uh, that being said, it's not uncommon in the cuckold scene for um, for a male to take on, for, for the cuckold, if you will, the cuckold male to take on a, uh, a bisexual role. And, and I guess, <laughs> that being said, you'd have to say that the... Um, the uh, the other male, the alpha male, or the bull, if you will, uh, in this cuckold scenario, um, would also be taking on some, at very least, some form of bisexual role if he's interacting with said cuckold. So, you know, like I said, there are so many degrees of this whole cuckold scene, right? Um, but again, it's it's... Uh, a common practice. A very, it, it's an alarmingly <laughs> common practice. It was reasonably alarming to me. I had no idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a very, very common practice. And um, yeah, varying degrees and uh, uh, varying uh, angles, varying uh, directions of, of where you can take it. Um, but again, as long as it's as long as it's mutual in the, in the real life sense, as long as it's mutual, you know, hey, it is what it is. People are going to do what they do. If it's not hurting anybody. It's not disrespecting anybody. Hell, let it be like John Lennon. 
And as far as the production side and the art imitating life side, um, yeah, man, um, same thing. People are going to do what they do, so they can go ahead and watch it here, and people get off on that, and they like it. Somebody's going to find a way to make money out that, and, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. As a male performer in the adult industry, is there any competition among your fellow male performers in the business? There may be, but I don't see it that way. I can't say that there is not. Uh, I don't look at it that way. I can't. I can't speak for other people, and, and you know, I couldn't say how they feel or what they feel like there is or there isn't. Um, but uh, I, I don't see it that way. The way I see it, uh, there's one Shawn Michaels, and uh, I can't be Shawn Michaels. There's one Mr. Marcus. I can't be Mr. Marcus. There's one uh, Lexington Steel. I, I can't be Lexington Steel. And and for all my uh, faults, flaws, shortcomings, and uh, attributes, there's only one Jack Napier. I believe it, and I believe you're him. I, I, I'm, sometimes I wonder. <laughs> sometimes I wonder, like, am I that dude? Sometimes it's cool to wake up and just realize that I am that dude. Other days I wonder. <laughs> Who is that dude? <laughs> I want to talk about piracy. All right. As a performer, it sucks. well, yeah. <laughs> as a performer, as a director, as a producer, as a person who has had multiple lines bearing his name, can you give us an insider's take on piracy? As someone who experiences it, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if I want to say on a daily basis, but you know, as as someone who experiences it, working in this industry. Let's let's just call it what it is, man. At the end of the day, short and sweet is theft. It's theft, right? Now, theft affects everybody in some degree, whether you notice or not. It's, that's that's a proven thing. Whether you're uh, if 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 there's something a commodity that's been set up to to uh, make revenue, and it's not being rated, it's not making revenue due to the fact that somebody's stealing it. Um, that's going to affect everybody that has something to do with that, everybody who depends on that to some degree. So whether you notice it or not, it's going to affect. So in the case of this industry, piracy is about taking someone else's product and uh, at the very least not paying for their product and uh, at the worst, <laughs> making money off of their product that they should be making for <laughs> themselves, right? Uh, that's what it is. It's theft, right? And as far as the effect it has, uh, most immediately it's going to affect the producer because the, mo the producer is the one who puts up the money to make this happen, right? So let's take one title. One title, the investor is going to, the producer is going to invest, let's say, 30 grand into this title, right? Maybe more depends on the type of title. Anywhere from thirty to hundred grand. Uh, what was it? The Pirates of, of Caribbean. Uh, who did Pirates of Caribbean? Is that digital play now? Yeah. Although they didn't call it Pirates of Caribbean, they just called it Pirates. The Pirates. But, but yes. Right. right. Okay. So Pirates. That was like a million dollar budget movie, right? It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Million dollar budget. It's kind of a big deal, right? They had All CGI right, so, skeletons. That was amazing. Yeah. It was. It was very much like. 
like pirates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was very much like in like the uh the Johnny Depp inspired movie. Or the or you can see that this movie was inspired by by Johnny Depp. So the Johnny Depp cast movie. Uh, very much. Like you said, right down to the CGI, right down to the it was, it was very impressive. I was very impressed. That was a that was a very well made movie. Uh, especially considering everything that was done with a million dollar budget is fantastic. Fantastic. Gotta take my hats off for that. Anyway. Um Okay, so we got our budget, right? So boom. Let's say and I'm I'm gonna take the superlative form of of this example, right? I'm just gonna go to far deep end, right? Boom. Uh I um put out this pirates movie uh, I, I spent a million dollars to make this pirates movie and i have this master right here and i get ready to send it in the duplication like yeah fantastic or i just send it into the editor before you can have the mat the master right but i don't realize that my editor is mad shady right and my, <laughs> and my editor who got that underground down low hookup like yes and i got these movies man fresh kind of edited it myself you know what i mean <laughs> so <laughs> he gets the money from producer right and he goes ahead and creates the master but he's also got a master for himself so he sends out one copy to, he sends off one master to the producer so they can send it to duplication but he's got a master for himself and you know what's to stop him right he's, he's the one editing you know all he's got to do is burn it twice a boom, but a thing. So boom, or render it twice, burn it twice, whatever, same thing. So he can go ahead and render his copy straight too. Now he has a master edited because he's the editor, right? It's going to have all that fancy authoring because that's a separate department, but it doesn't matter if you want the movie, I've got it here. It'll be cheaper than what you spend over there, right? So he's going to have his out before, if he decides to do this, he's going to have his out before the actual producer because the producer still has to do duplication in artwork and marketing. This guy just goes to the street. Like, boom, I've got that. Boom, I've got that. And he's flipping it quick for like, you know, 20 bucks a pop or whatever, 10 bucks a pop or whatever. Boom, boom, boom. And before you know it, he's giving it to, I'll, I'll make it a small number. Let's just say he sold it to like 20, 30 people. And now these 20, 30 people, they share it with all their friends. Oh, can I get a copy? Because they're dad low shady too. Oh, can I get a copy? Right? Boom. So now they've got copies. And before long, we're on an internet-based world. It doesn't take long for this to get uploaded to the internet. And now it's all over the place. It's on torrent sites. It's on tube sites. It's on uh, uh, share file programs. It's, it's downloadable over here, shareable over here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, uh, the producer hasn't even got his copies on the shelf yet to be sent out. He hasn't even got his shit back from duplication yet, right? They're not even in his warehouse yet, and this shit's already flooding the streets of the internet. So by the time uh, he's ready to go ahead and do that release, like, yeah, man, put the promotion out, boom, 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 flyers, going to pay for this $1,000 page over here in, in uh, AVN, uh, it's a uh, uh, three-page ad, three grand over there, whatever, boom, 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 and uh, now I'm going to go ahead and post it up, and I'm going to get the trailer and put it in our other movies to market it, and all this other good jazz, and he's just spending money, 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 money to market this movie. Like, he's, you know, $10,000, $20,000 to market the movie. And why not? You spend a million dollars to put it together, 20000 marketed, not that much, but it's still twenty grand, right? So, he's ready. He's ready to release. He's ready to take on sales. He knows people are going to buy. He's waiting for the distributors to call up and blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, the distributors aren't calling like they, like you thought they would be. Or he's got a sales guy that's calling distributors and distributors aren't picking up like you thought they would be. Why not? 
Next thing you know, he hears from his sales guy. He's like, hey, man, we got a problem. Wow, what's going on? What's the problem, man? I'm ready to ship these out. It's all in the street. It's all on the internet. My 21-year-old daughter just bought me a copy, and here it is on this burned DVD right here, the shit that he just mastered. And the shit is like studio quality because it just came from the editor. Now, you know more than likely that it came from the editor because your shit hasn't even hit the street yet. But... Can you prove it? Because it's still changed so many hands. Boom. It might have been the editor. It might have been the guy who did the authoring. It might have been the guy who did the duplication. Who knows? It might have been somewhere within either one of their infrastructures. Who knows? doesn't matter. That's a million dollars gone. Right? (laughs) A million dollars gone just like that. Maybe you recoup because of true fans, because you've got some fans, Right? Maybe you and you've got some really good business deals with your distributors and your mom and pop stores and what have you. You've got some fans that are going to buy and pick it up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you can still get uh, people who, who actually want to have this tangible item. They want, actually want the box cover. They actually want the art and they want it signed by the people that are in there. Those are your fans, man. That's why they're so important. Um, you're going to move a couple of units. Let's say, let's say you move. 3,500 units. Boom. What's going to happen is the reorders are going to suck. They're going to be almost non-existent because you're going to only have a handful of fans that are going to actually go ahead and buy that. And the people who are not fans and just wanted it, they already got it on the online and they've watched it and they've seen it. Um, and they're making, <laughs> geez, <laughs> some people are going to go as far as to make, uh, video grabs and stills off of the video images from their burned DVD or their stolen copy and then take it to the trade show so they can get them signed by the people that are in it. It just, it's so bad. It's so bad. But um, here's the effect. So now the producer is out like at least $500,000 of his, his investment that he knows he's never going to recoup. $500,000. That's a lot of money, man. So, the next production that he was going to do off the, off, the, um, off the recoup from this title is probably going to be a little bit slimmer. The production value is going to be a little bit lighter. Why? Because the money he was going to use to that is now not here. So, that means everybody beneath that that he was going to be paid is going to make a little bit less for whatever reason. It might be that it might not be that their wages are going to get cut because there's a lot of uh, independent contractors for one and two. You know, wages and wages is a different thing. Your office is your office. But some people might get laid off. Like, hey, I can't afford to keep you in here anymore. Your, Your job has just become obsolete, or I can't afford to keep you, and it'd be cheaper to have you on unemployment. Boom, he's gone. And I've seen that happen to a couple of people in a couple of warehouses. Um, and then next, uh, on the production level, it's like, hey, uh, Mr. Director, I know I gave you this budget last time, and uh, you did a fantastic job, but this time I can't afford to give you that much because of what happened. So now I can only give you 250 k That's still a lot of money, but you know, it's, it's 25% of the original budget that he got last time, right? So now I take this 250K and how am I going to make a quality movie the same way that I did before? I can't. Um, so if I opt to pay the 
performers for this next budget. Maybe I can pay, I mean, I can absolutely pay their rates and this and that and that, blah, blah, blah. But somewhere down the line, the production value has just been cut 75%. So if it doesn't show with the talent pool, then it's probably going to show location. And we're not going to have all this CGI anymore. And we're not going to have all this fantastic locations anymore. And we're not going to have all this fantastic dress setting. And we're not going to have catering um, on the different sets. And instead of going to these lavish locations for these amount of days, we're going to have to wrap stuff up a lot faster now. Everything just got cut 75%. And that's just on one thing. Same thing happens again. I'm just mentioning two instances now. The same thing happens again. It's going to have the same rippling effect. And each time, gradually, I'm going to be able to do less and less because I'm continually taking hits from this piracy. Give it three, four generations, and now, you know, now you're hitting your talent like, hey, uh, I can't afford to pay you what I paid you, you know, in pirates. Uh, would you be willing to work for this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And initially, this may be the first time the talent's hearing it. They might be like, nah, I can't do that. You know, it's, you know, it wouldn't be good for me in my career. It's not a good business move, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the thing. The piracy doesn't just affect that one person, that one time, that one company. It happens to the entire industry. And it has been happening for generations, right? So because of that, as we have stated earlier, a lot of companies have fallen away. A lot of people's rates have dropped. Uh, shooting when it was uh, much more often once upon a time has fallen away to shooting less often and outsourcing a lot of content um, and uh, making a lot of compilations of existing content instead of shooting new content simply because can't afford to do anymore because people aren't buying it anymore. So that's the short-term and long-term spread out effect of what it does. At the end of the day, it's, it's thievery. It is. And I'm not trying to say, hey, you guys can't do this and you're bad and you're evil. You know, I don't I don't know what side of the fence you swing on. So I'm not, you know, pointing a finger at this person or that person. And I'm the last person to do it either because, uh, you know, I was not always squeaky clean citizen that I am today. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was definitely that guy who was, who was doing more than just... Uh, you know, making bootleg copies of DVDs. I was doing a lot more once upon a time. So it's far be it for me to, to point a finger at anybody. But if you want to know what it is and what it does, that is what it is. And that is what it does. So um, that is probably another reason why you're seeing uh, certain genres take to the dance circuit the way that they do because it's, it's right there. You know what's going on right there and there. It's cash in hand, cold, hard. You know, there is no piracy. <laughs> there's, no, there's no piracy in the dance circuit. That's the damn sure. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, unless we find another way, another medium, uh, or another way to get content out to the viewer that is not so digital or digitize um it's it's going to continue or you've got to find a way to see the thing is this each time you try to find a way to safeguard something whoever came up with the security is going to have a back end right whoever came up with the security for your safeguard whoever designed it is going to have a way to get past it so let's say i go ahead and i design this safeguard boom 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 right 
Now you guys can pay me all this money and you don't have to worry about your content. Now everybody's got it, right? Everybody's safe and secure. But I want more money. So now I show other people <laughs> how to get past it. <laughs> and then I develop another safeguard. <laughs> this is what the phone companies did. I don't know if you remember that. But uh, once upon a time, do you remember when, when people used to sell phones and phones were really expensive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't sell phones anymore. Now they sell service. Do you remember when they yeah. first did the, uh, the, the, was the Star 69 when you can call people back? Yeah, and shout then, out to Star 69. Right? Okay, so then it was like, okay, well, we've got a way to, to take care of that. We'll just do uh, the Star 69 blocking. We'll, give you, we'll sell you Star 69 blocking for this much, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool, nobody can Star 69 me, now I can do this and that, blah, 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 right? Uh, or you would call, people would call, and they'd be stupid on the phone or whatever, and you wouldn't know how to know who it was. So now, boom, we're going to come up with caller ID. Oh, caller ID. So now you know who it is when they call. So now you can call them right back even without Star 69. You can just call directly, right? And then the next service was, oh, caller ID blocking. You know what I mean? <laughs> just come back and forth and back and forth. Turn one switch on, turn another one off. Then turn this switch back on and then turn another one off. You know what I mean? And that's that's basically it. And they continue to charge you for the same thing. So it's 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 um, a no-win situation as far as digital media. So until, uh, which again would explain popularity of the dance circuit these days. Uh, so until we find a way to come up with a medium that is not so easy to download digitally, I don't know, man. We're going to go back to the laser disc per se, but uh, I mean, hey, that would be, wouldn't that be something? If Shout out to laser discs. Laser disc, right? See, porn on laser disc again, wouldn't that be amazing? Because <laughs> you can't really, you can't take a laser disc and stick it into your computer, can you? You can't, you can't just put it back in your laptop and start duplicating stuff. It's a laser disc. But that would be something, man. Porn on laser disc. Start that record collection up again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that I want to discuss with you now is something that we chatted about during our interview on my original blog site, poppychulosblog.com. You gave a really great answer, basically, to the haters out there. And uh, that's why I want to ask you it now that the haters can actually hear you. They don't have to read all that <laughs> shit. They can hear Jack Napier telling y'all off. Or at least giving you guys the business, as they would say. <laughs> so the thing that I want to talk about is basically a criticism that a lot of people have had about you and your work on the web because you know a lot of people on these forums and on uh, social media they can post whatever the hell they want because it's all anonymous and shit right. so they can give their opinions and they feel like it, nothing's going to come back to them well Jack Napier is here now and it's coming back to you Damn. no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> So the criticism that has appeared is some fans have said that it appears as if you do not have a full erection in your scenes. And uh, my question is, you know, this is your chance to sort of address the fans' criticisms, for lack of a better word. Okay. 
Is Jack Napier fully erect when he is performing for the camera? Is is it your natural state? Uh, do you fully achieve a strong erection during your scenes? Go. Okay. Uh, sometimes I'm not completely erect. I'll just go ahead and put it out there just like that. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm really feeling a scene and sometimes not so much. Sometimes it's a fantastic day at work and sometimes it's a job, right? Uh, I am human, my good man. Um, and uh, that means uh, some days are going to be real, real strong and some days they're going to be not so strong. For example, um, there have been days where, you know, I'm in a basic uh, missionary position or doggy position and yeah i really wasn't feeling it whether that had been attitude from girl or or uh, argument on set earlier with uh, my crew or if i just had the flu and was trying to tough it out or whatever and i'm like you know noodling through <laughs> a position or what have you right there have been days like that right and then there have been days when I am able to do a fucking standing reverse cowgirl on a girl's ass. And let me tell you, I don't think too many people are going to do that without a full direction. Just saying. Um, so that being said, there have been some days. Now, as far as my natural state, right? <clears throat> I guess everybody has their natural state of erection if you will some people are straight out some people are straight up and hitting themselves in the belly button some people curve to the left or right and there's me right i am naturally down curving if you will right um it uh does go up it will stay hard will flex i can flex it it will you know what i'm engorged and if i again was not engorged i would not be able to flex it just like blood in any muscle um so um there's also that so um as far as haters are concerned yeah i don't know man um some people have said you need to take these pills, and you need to get this, and you need to get that, or some bag, or this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's not my thing, right? I'm not going to be doing Viagra, I'm not going to be taking pills, and, and, and uh, Cialis, and all this other good jazz. Um, it was suggested to me once upon a time, right? And I tried it once, the Cialis, right? And it gave me a ridiculous headache, and I was like, you know what? Never again. I don't even take aspirin when I do have headaches. I tried to bend for the for the sake of professionalism and all that, and it, it really gave me a serious, serious headache. Um, and the cool thing about Cialis is that Cialis is supposed to work over a, a period of a couple of days, whereas I guess the Viagra, Viagra is supposed to work for a couple of hours. Uh, Cialis is supposed to stay in your system for a couple of days. So I had a headache for a couple of days. It sucked. So, uh, yeah, I was done with that. I'm like, I'm good. Whatever. I'm just going to be what it is. I'm going to pick girls that I'm attracted to. I'm going to set up scenes that I like to do. Um, and I'm going to continue doing this as naturally as I enjoy doing it. And um, that's what it has been for, yeah, 15 years. So uh, that being said, um, whether I am totally hard or not fully hard, I'm still able to go through super young, 
super tight girls go through four positions, five positions, whatever the hell the case is, and fuck nonstop for about 45 minutes if I need to. Um, and I, like I said, I've been able to do that for many years. Um, so hate as you will, I don't, I know for a fact that there are not too many people that are able to do that. Um, whether they can maintain full erection every single time or not, or else you would see so many more, so many different guys, so many other people filling that spot or what have you, right? There is a reason why you see the guys that you see in this business because not everybody can do it. That's it. The reason you see the same guy is because we're the guys that can do it. <laughs> That's it. If you think you got it and you think you're better and you think you would be better, if you think you could be the next better than Jack, bring it on, man. The industry will welcome you if you're that guy because believe me, believe me, there aren't too many people that can do it. And I approve of that answer. Was my last answer in the blog more hateful? <laughs> I don't remember how I answered it last I think time. You I'm answered it like that. I think you answered it like that. But I, I think oh, okay. I think it was diplomatic, which I liked. Oh, okay. It was good. Okay. But I just oh, thought yeah, it was yeah. a I thought it was a good answer, so I was like, let me have you repeat it um, oh, okay, vocally. Okay. Word. Yeah. Word, word. Okay. Yeah, it basically narrows it down, man. I'm I'm definitely me and and for to be somebody who is uh, you know, uh, a natural performer in, in a day where you can spend 10 bucks on a pill and, you know, be a 60-year-old Superman or whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, just, yeah, you know what I mean? It's definitely not my thing, man. I just, I don't want to go there. And, and the day that I have to go there is probably the day where I'm like, okay, well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's time for me to go. <laughs> it's been fun. Absolutely, man. You've been in the game for over 15 years. The my game! Yes. My question for you is, is there a misconception or myth about performers that you would like to dispel? For example. Give me a for example. Well, if I gave you four examples, you're going to try to dispel the myth that I just said. <laughs> and that's kind of uh -huh. not where I wanted to go. Uh, you know. <gasps> Because I could say, I mean, I could say, like, many things. I could say, you know, oh, performers are all drug addicts. Oh, they're all sex addicts. Oh, you know, they're, oh, okay. you know, that kind of stuff. But I don't want you to dispel that. Like, you know, is there anything, any preconceived notions that you had maybe about the industry that uh, were dispelled as you've been in the industry throughout the years? I didn't personally have any preconceived notions about this industry. I really, I really didn't. I'm not personally, I'm not the type of person that just generalizes everybody. And I, I would hope that if we leave with nothing, that we definitely leave with that. I know we were talking about the serious racism issues, whatever. And again, that's, that's one of those issues that people will quickly generalize uh, instead of taking people on an individual person to person, base by base, uh, uh, or excuse me, a uh, person to person basis. Um, so I, I didn't really come into this industry with a bunch of preconceived notions. I came in with big eyes, big ears, you know, and I wanted to see what was, uh, what was going on and, and learn and understand. So I definitely learned a lot of things being in this industry. Uh, I learned an awful lot about relationships. I learned an awful lot about myself. 
but um but there was nothing like uh like this myth like uh all porn stars do xyz I mean, I hear that, but it's not like, again, it's not really a, a quote-unquote myth. It's more like a, like a, just a huge generalization, you know what I mean? Uh, like, like what you were saying, like, oh, all porn stars, all you porn stars do this, or all you porn stars take drugs, and all you porn stars take uh, pills, and all you porn stars, I mean, I don't know. Things like that I really don't pay too much attention to. And I, I, like I said, I wouldn't really consider it a myth. I, I, don't, I don't know, I've never heard of any serious myth to where uh people are really thinking that oh man all porn stars really do this you know i mean where people really ask me that you know i can't think of any okay any like serious widespread generalizations that have gone into the realm of actual myth like like lock monster that's a myth like bigfoot that's a myth right that's one of those things like you know Somebody right now is like, fuck you, man, that's real. Fuck <laughs> Bigfoot's real. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, as, as, far as, uh, as, as far as that's concerned, you know, it's a widespread notion that is a widely believed, right? Loch Ness Monster, whether you believe it or not, is a widespread notion that a lot of people believe, and that's a fact, right? Bigfoot, whether you believe it or not, it's a widespread notion that a lot of people wholeheartedly believe, and that is a fact. I can't think of any porn myths or even porn generalizations that fall into that category. We've been talking about... If you have lot- any, but yeah, I would, I, would, I would love to answer whatever... You know, <laughs> whatever you whatever you have, you know what I mean. Uh, I would I would love to answer, but I, I I can't think of any offhand. Okay, we've been talking about, a lot about the serious issues in the industry. My question for you is not sort of calling back to anything that we've already discussed, but in general, as a performer, is there an aspect of the the adult industry that you do not enjoy? You know, maybe an aspect that hasn't been touched upon throughout this uh, serious discussion? Um, there's, on the business end, man, there's porn bullshit. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's bullshit. But again, it's like a life thing. Things like this are not just, um, are not just isolated to porn. People are people. You work with people, you've got to deal with shit people do. And a lot of shit that people do is bullshit. And a lot of things that is bullshit that people do is they'll say one thing and mean another or say one thing and not do what they say or say one thing and not mean what they say um, or not say what it is that they mean or whatever. And again, that's obviously not isolated to porn, but when you are trying to, when you're, when you are in business for yourself and your business basically depends on other people doing their job as well, people doing what they say they're going to do is very important. It's vital. You know, um, I wish that some people were more responsible in this industry and and to be fair i have definitely fallen short um for uh, for, for some of my responsibilities throughout these 15 years there have definitely been times where i've fallen short of what i'm saying right now 
uh, not a whole lot, you know, for the most part, I got a pretty good name in the business, but, uh, there have definitely been some times just being a hundred percent, you know what I mean? There have definitely been uh, a couple of times where, uh, I, I fell short of, uh, what I should have been doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, it, it definitely has, uh, repercussions. Even, even, even when, even to be honest, even when it didn't have repercussions, it, it's something that, even right now, I don't know if you can hear it by the way I'm talking, but things that I have done, uh, they weigh heavy on me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Things that yeah. I have done that, that, uh, that I shouldn't have done, uh, it weighs heavy on me. Um, so, and some of these things, again, people are, <laughs> they don't even know. Some of these things people will never know. Um, but I know. So it's like, before I say any of this stuff, I have to remember one, I have to check myself first. And two, um, I have to be very careful about the things that I say and uh, be my own um, my own main critic before I say these things. Um, but I, again, not not necessarily isolated to uh, to just porn. It's it's hard to to find uh, groups of people or even individuals. You know what I mean that are extremely dependable that you can absolutely count on, you know, for, for certain things. And when you're in a business such as this, that's just a whole bunch of independent contractors that are doing business for themselves. You definitely will benefit from people who, um, who work with integrity. You absolutely will, will, uh, benefit from people who work with intent with integrity and, uh, dependability. And uh, I'm very fortunate to have been um, to have been able to work with the companies that I was able to work with, um, and um, yeah, there were <laughs> a couple of companies were were not as on the up and up, but the ones that I that uh, I had the best experience with for the most part of time for, for the longest amount of time were were definitely uh, run with and by people that I say have uh, great morals or great scruples. Well, at least if they don't have great scruples, great morals, they do have great business ethic. They have great work ethic. Who am I to say what the morals are? I mean, here we are in the porn industry talking about morals, but at the end of the day, they've got great uh, personnel sales and they've got um, great business ethics. I like the sound of that. I really love all of the answers that you've given in this installment, Jack Napier. And unfortunately, this is the end of sort of like the serious questions, but it's also uh, the end of this episode. We've run out of time. So, Jack, would you be willing to come back for an (laughs) unprecedented part five to make this, you know, a five-part interview extravaganza a final ever, fifth part i was gonna say before i answer that have you ever interviewed have you ever had a five-part interview before no we've had uh three-parters but no no fourth part or fifth part okay well then yes i absolutely have to do the fifth part just in case somebody comes in with the fourth they're still gonna have to step it up man they're gonna have to step up three parts son to come mess with this. And they got to be long. They can't be short. They got to be like two and a half hours a piece. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so yes, I'm absolutely, do you realize, I mean, I know you do, but this is five days. You're just like, this is like, this would be like a Jack Napier week. I know. That's like crazy. Jack week. 
Jack Week. We got you. Got to come up with a name for this, man. We got to come up with a name for for this Jack Week thing. You know, like on on, uh, on Discovery Channel, they have like Shark Week or whatever, Bear Week, Fish Week, whatever. <laughs> we got to come. I don't know, like Jack Week. I don't know if I like to say it, the sound of that, but, but something, something. Exactly, because that, that sounds like a week of masturbation. Oh wow, that's that's yeah. I, I wasn't going there, but okay. Jack Week. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, Jack Links or something like that. I don't know. Jack Links, I like that. Jack Links. Links to all these different interviews. Jack Links. Oh man, that's, I, I don't know. Well, I'm going to work on it. I'll bounce it around a little bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on yeah, it. We'll, we'll work I'll on definitely it. be there. I'm all awesome, over it, man. man. Sounds like a plan. So before we leave, though, I do want to give you the chance to let them know where they can find you on the web, uh, social media, all that kind of stuff. Word, word, word. All right. Well, uh, I mean, if you have Facebook and um, you would like to find me on Facebook, I am at facebook.com slash Jack Napier fan page. I also have a personal page, which is Jack Napier, uh, excuse me, facebook.com slash Jack 818 Napier. Please don't ask me to add you as a friend. It is not that I would not. It's that Facebook only allows you to have 5,000 friends, and I'm pretty much there. I, I, I am there. I've actually been passed there. But that being said, um, stop, drop by, send me a message, say hi. Let me know you heard me here on, the, on Papa Chula Radio. And I'll be like, oh, you did? You're awesome. If you have Twitter, or want to find me on Twitter, I am on Twitter at Jack Napier Live. If you're on Instagram and would like to find me on Instagram, I am on Instagram at Jack Napier Live. And uh, I'm actually also on Instagram under Rock the Chain. That's at Rock the Chain, right? And uh, that is dedicated to all the really cool girls that have been. Uh, been gracing me with their presence and desire to wear that necklace for a short amount of time so that I could photograph it. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely want to check that out. Oh, oh, can I do one more shameless plug? Yes. All right. So if you know me at all, especially of recent years, you know that I am doing a lot of uh, charity works, a lot of volunteer works with different charities. Um, throughout Southern California, um, AIDS Project Los Angeles, which holds AIDS Walk LA, um, No Hate Campaign, which is a silent protest against uh, marriage inequality, and uh, currently the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Southern California. So uh, Ronald McDonald House Charities of Southern California is doing the Walk for Kids uh, this April 15th, and I am participating in the Walk for Kids, and I am absolutely looking for sponsors. doesn't have to be a whole lot of money. don't feel like you have to donate $100. Believe me, $5, $10, $1, it all adds up, whatever. I mean, it looks weird on your credit card statement that you dedicated or that you donated $0.25, cents, but I'm, I'm just saying, I wouldn't be mad. Um... That being said, if you would like to sponsor my walk, I am at tinyurl, that's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash Jack's Walk for Kids. That's Jack's Walk for Kids. Tinyurl 
facebook.com slash Jack's Walk for Kids. All proceeds will go to the Pasadena Ronald McDonald House. And I will be either, I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to actually walk, walk, or if I'm going to DJ there at Exposition Park in Los Angeles. If it's raining, then I'm going to walk because we're going to be doing it rain or shine. But if it's sunny, I might actually set up my turntables and DJ for a couple hours out there for the people who are actually doing the walk and, and help motivate them um, along their pathway. I don't know. Maybe you, did, you know what? You guys let me know. Donate and, and let me know what you would like to see me do. Jack, should, should Dad DJ or should he walk? You guys let me know. Fantastic, man. Well, certainly, I want to thank you so much for coming back, not just for part one, not just for part two, not just for freaking part three, but for part four and agreeing to a fifth part. Thank you so much, man. Not at all, my good man. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And listeners, I certainly want to thank you so much for staying tuned with us and for coming back for part four and hopefully downloading the other parts as well. Thank you for tuning in to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One on One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Pacific, unless it's Jack Napier Week, then that means Monday through Friday. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. With that, Jack Napier and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night, listeners. Thanks for listening to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305-515-8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.